0: nascar weekend preview with hot topic sound off this is actually thursday morning we're putting together a podcast today uh for the show because there is a race tonight at kansas speedway with the nascar cup series so joining me as co-host for tonight is or for today is jay huseman welcome to the show jay
1: Thank you, Sharon. I I know we've had to do that, kind of adjust what day it is, what time it is. So uh, we're here. That's what's important.
0: We are here. And uh, we've got a lot to cover with five races this weekend, all at Kansas Speedway. We're going to start off in our first half hour. We'll give a few updates from the ARCA East and West. We'll also preview the ARCA Menards Series at Kansas. At the top of the hour, we will preview the NASCAR Gander and RV Outdoor Truck Series. Uh, They are having a double header at Kansas this weekend. Then our preview continues with the Xfinity Series at Kansas, and finally we finish up with the NASCAR Cup Series at Kansas. At the uh, two, uh, at the ninety-minute mark. We will get into our NASCAR Hot topic sound off with our FAMPA Racing crew. And it turns out it looks like uh, Mike is going to be able to join us. I did reach out uh, for a couple people as guests, but unfortunately with this happening during the day, a lot of people are working, so we couldn't quite make that happen. Um, But I am looking forward to tonight's show, Jay, or today's show. Well, as you
1: said. Going on five different races that we're Going to cover in preview here uh, I know I saw where Mike said he was setting An alarm going to, going to hopefully get up and join Us uh, like I said I know that Feeling I just scrubbed the scrubbed the Sleep out of my eyes when my alarm went off <laughs> oh,
0: Okay Well let's go ahead and See if we can get you woke up here uh, We're going to start With the Dawn 150 At uh, Kansas Speedway for the Arca Menards Well, actually, let before we get Into that, I forgot, we want to do the Updates first uh, For the Arca East and the West And really the best way to do this I think is to just go over the uh, Series point standings uh, For each of these series uh, We've got um, Let's start with the Arca East and what they're doing In the series point standings They only have two races so far in the books so there'll be some more races coming up so stay tuned for that but uh, right now Sam Mayer's got the lead there by a pretty close margin with uh, the second place driver
1: all right you're going to have to do that for some reason and I don't know if I'm missing it where on the ARCA, ARCA homepage here I cannot pull up the individual series
0: Oh, okay, because okay, they link, usually no. have a link there for each of the different series. Uh, but I will go ahead. Sam Mayer uh, leads Ty Gibbs by just two points. Uh, right behind him are a couple of rev racing drivers with Nick Sanchez and Chase Cabaret in uh, third and fourth. They're uh, 13 and 17 points back, and 19 points back is Parker Retzlaff. So uh, that is your top uh, five. Uh, again, the point separation is pretty tight Because there's only two races in the book so far uh, Giovanni Bramanti is sixth Followed by Max McLaughlin, Justin Carroll Mason Diaz, and Derek Griffin Derek Griffin is racing this weekend At Kansas, I believe, in the uh, Arkham Menard Series uh, So from tenth to the front Is just 47 points So this one's still pretty tight uh, to get a really good feel for how these drivers are doing so far, uh, it might help to look at the um, average starts and finishes here. I don't know if you're able to find it, Jay.
1: Um, I'm trying to pull it up on my phone and see. I don't know if it's the, the my laptop that won't let that link come through.
0: Oh, okay. Well, looking at the average finishes, they're pretty tight as well. Derek Griffith has... An average start of just, he has just one race in the books. His average start is first. His average finish is second. So he's got the best one with just one race in the books in this series. Uh, looking at a couple of others, the the two drivers up front have an average start of 3.5. They match each other in that uh, stat. But when it comes to average finish, Sam Mayer has the edge of 1.5 over 2.0 for Ty Gibbs. So that just kind of gives a little bit of a flavor of uh, how the top two drivers kind of fare with their average start and finish with two races in. Now let's see if we can go to the ARCA West. They have a few more races in the books. Uh, there, uh, They have, I believe, four races into the books. And so this point spread is a little bit more there, Jay.
1: Yeah, as I said I found a couple different things on the East, but it won't let me pull up the point standings for some reason.
0: Okay, well, I'll go through the point standings for the West, too, then. <laughs> Jesse Love has the points lead there by 17 points over Blaine Perkins. The thing to note here is there is um, a friendly rivalry between Bill McAnally Racing and Sunrise Ford Racing. Uh, and, of course, Jesse Love is, will Bill McAnally Racing, Blaine Perkins is with with Sunrise Ford. Uh, Moving down the list, you see that that continues. Gracie Trotter from Bill McAnally Racing is in third place, followed by Trevor Huddleston from Sunrise Ford Racing. Todd Souza rounds out the top five there. He's 30 points back from the lead. The next five drivers are Gio Selsi from uh, Bill McAnally. You've got Alan Lawless. Holly Holland, all Bill McAnally drivers. Uh, Takuma Koga is ninth, and Bobby Hillis Jr. is in tenth. So Bobby Hillis is 58 points back from the lead in that tenth place spot. So again, uh, I like to look at Uh, What the series uh, average start is And their average finish And Jesse Love is looking pretty good Similar to the guys that we saw in the East With a 2.0 average start And a 1.5 average finish uh the next uh, driver blaine perkins has a 2.8 average start with a 4.8 average finish so you can see it kind of clarifies why those guys are separated in points uh by 17 points but there's still some racing to do here and i think that that could get closer before this is all said and done jay
1: it's most certainly going and I know we haven't come across anything that updates us on the schedule for the East and the West series, but we know that uh, the series has come out and said that they do plan to get the full 20 race schedule in for the Arkham Ard series. Again, nothing mentioned so far on the East and West, but they are trying.
0: Yes, they are, so we'll just kind of stay tuned, and as soon as we have info, we'll be happy to share that info with everyone. Uh, it's time for us to now move on over to the Arkham Menard series. Uh, and Michael Self still has the series points lead in that series. Uh, and, uh, last time they were at tech, at uh, Kansas Speedway J, Michael Self led 57 laps and finished second. Uh, so, uh, that, uh, was a disappointment for him, I'm sure.
1: Most certainly. I mean, that's one of those where, again, when you're having that good a year, when you're so disappointed with second, you know you had the car to beat. But I know you've said it before. Those are the kind of days that make champions and being able to recover. And we've seen that out of Michael Self. And so far, again, this year leading the point, kind of in that same position as last year. So we'll see how they differ from last year with that.
0: Okay. The Dawn 150 will take place at Kansas Speedway on Friday, July the 24th at 9 p.m. Central Time, so that would be 10 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, It will be televised on Fox Sports 1 and uh, MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR radio channels 385 and 985 live. It is a 1.5-mile paved tri-oval. Uh, They will have practice from 4.45 until 5.30 p.m., that's local time, with the race starting again at 10 p.m. Eastern. Uh, Now, you will be able to follow along uh, on Fox Sports 1 with this race, so this will be televised live, and uh, that's good for all NASCAR and ARCA fans. So uh, definitely uh, check that out.
1: Most certainly. I know they got coverage throughout the year a little bit more than in years past and that's going to continue to expand with the partnership that they have under the NASCAR banner.
0: That's true. Okay, now uh, 29 years old from Park City, Utah. Uh, Self probably knows Kansas better than most of the other drivers. He won there in 2017. He finished third in 2018. It was that second-place finish to Venturini Motorsports driver Christian Eckes last year by 1.912 seconds in that finale that kept Self from both uh, the race win and the series championship trophies. So Self now returns back in that number 25, Sinclair Lubricants Toyota, having led uh, pretty much the whole season this year. He won the General Tire Pole Award and led a race-high 61 laps in route to winning at Daytona International Speedway. He's had six top ten runs, including four top fives, and in the next six races allowed him to open up a 19-point lead over his competitor, Brett Holmes. Okay, Holmes, another driver that uh, has some experience at these tracks. I don't know if you've got the mute button on, Jay.
1: Nope, I didn't know you were pausing there, but uh, talking about Brett Holmes, uh, we talked about him a little bit already on Monday's show, closing to within 19 points of Michael Self. Uh, Considering the year Michael Self's having, that's pretty solid. Uh, I know Brett Holmes looking for that win, but does have four top fives in seven races, which has allowed him to stay right there with Michael self.
0: Exactly. Also he's got in three previous starts at Kansas. He's had one top five and two top tens. So I know both of those drivers want to do better than they've done in the past there and uh, get that victory. So, uh, Self's teammate, Drew Dollar, was 7th at Kansas last year. Ryan Repko, another Venturini driver, uh, steps back into the number 20 this week. And Riley Earps is returning to that number 18 uh, Toyota uh, for JGR, where he's finished 7th and 4th in two starts this year. As a three-time race winner, Ty Gibbs is ineligible to compete at Kansas Speedway because he is still only 17 years of age, so he's not yet 18 to be able to compete on these 1.5 mile tracks.
1: Sam, bad news for the competitors again. Ty Gibbs obviously been on a hunt streak, but when you talked about uh, Michael Self, the teammate teammate that beat him was that number 20 machine.
2: This uh, mm-hmm. this race is
1: going to be Ryan Repco. That you mentioned but Drew Dollar Also already picking up the win this year That we, When we had him on the show uh, Another Venturini car that could be His biggest challenger in the number 15
0: Yes And so uh, it's going to be exciting To see what the Venturini drivers do And what those JGR cars Will be able to do um, That number 18 has been strong This year as well As are the DGR Crossley uh, Uh, Teammates of Tanner Gray and Haley Deegan Uh, They were 6th and 8th Respectively last year at Kansas Uh, Dollar right now Is 36 back of self Deegan is 36 Points out of first as well So uh, Derek Griffith, I I mentioned that earlier He's going to return to the number 22 For Chad Bryant's racing You've got Tyler Hill, the younger brother Of former NASCAR Xfinity Series Rookie Timmy Hill who will be driving the uh number eleven for Andy Hillenberg.
1: And that's an interesting one to uh to see in the car. I don't know that we've seen him in the in uh on track yet this year. Uh definitely one to keep your eye on. As well as then in the number twelve, another Hillenberg machine, Corey Heim. Uh, been a while I know since we've seen him back in the Arkham Bernard series.
0: Yes, so that's going to be uh, fun to see, too. Uh, I don't have the entry list up. Uh, Jay, do you want to uh, cover some of the other drivers that we have not yet mentioned?
1: All right. Uh, We were talking about the Hillingbard cars, and in the 01 is going to be Mike Basham with uh, Trey Galgon, crew chief in that Chevrolet. Con Nicolopoulos in the 06 Chevrolet with Mike Peterson as the crew chief. And the number seven of Eric Caldwell, cell phone team Toyota with Jeremy Petty on top of the box. A couple others, uh, let's see, going down. And I think there's 20. Yeah, we got 20 entries this weekend at Kansas for the Arkham series. In the number eight, that'll be Russ Lane with Mike Creek, crew chief in the Toyota. And then one of the other, I guess we missed one, uh, Ryan Huff. I don't remember if you mentioned him, uh, Andy Hillenberg machine. Kevin Cram will be the crew chief for that one, as he has been all year. I know you hey, we hit on Corey Kime, Drew Dollar, Tanner Gray in the number 17, uh, teammate to Haley Deegan for DGR Crosley, as well as then Thad Moffat, which is listed as Ebola Mastis. And their crew chiefs are going to be Blake Brainridge with Tanner Gray and Derek Smith with Thad Moffat. We've got three or four more here at the bottom. Uh, number wise, not necessarily points or anything, but the Kevin Sawinski number 32, that'll be driven by Howie the third with Jamie Jones as the crew chief. Brad Smith in his own team with uh, Arliss Basham as the crew chief. And Eric Caldwell in the Bill Kimmel machine with Bill Kimmel. Crew chiefing the number 69. And the final one numerically is in the number 97 of Jason Kitzmeller. We've seen him before with Doug George as the crew chief, car owned by Cody Robaugh.
0: Oh, okay, and I'm not sure if you mentioned Brad Smith's uh, uh, car, but he's going to be in that uh, familiar number 48 uh, for his own team with Artis ba- Basham as his crew chief. <clears throat> Excuse me. Okay, next we'll get into Touched on all of them
3: Pardon
1: me? All of them then
0: Okay Okay, so let's go ahead and get into the crew chief handout Uh, The starting field is, Mike, as uh, Jay mentioned, is 20 and and so the field is going to be set by the 2020 owner's point, points, uh, and, and that pretty much covers everybody who's entered into the race. Uh, again, there is no qualifying. They do have that practice session, but that's going to be it. There's no adding or moving tires to or from the pit box once the race has started. There's a maximum of four crew members that can service the car. No tires and fuels can be added outside of the break. So uh, the Dawn 150 will be race five of the General Tire Super Speedway Challenge, and that recognizes the car owner who accumulates the most points in those designated events. Um, The Dawn 150 is 100 laps, covering 150 miles, and is to be run in three segments. So the race will have their first break at or near the conclusion of lap 30, Uh, The second break will happen at or near the conclusion of lap 60. And uh, at the conclusion of each of these breaks, the vehicles will line up in the order they were running at the beginning of the break. So the maximum time allotment available for this event is tire allotment, I mean, is uh, uh, the maximum number of tires allowed in the pit box for use is eight. So there you have that. Uh we can you get to the uh, General Tire Super Speedway Challenge recap? Jay?
1: Yeah, that's one I'm pulling up. It says can't reach the page.
0: Okay, let me that see. Actually, I've got the it li- here. The
1: link worked, but it, the link worked, but it, <clears throat> that one it actually gave me a page said it couldn't reach it.
0: Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. I I am going to uh the, the go over it here. The Excuse me, I'm having a problem with my voice today We've got uh, Talladega uh, I'm sorry, it started with Daytona It includes Talladega, Pocono uh, Ken, what would Ken be? Kentucky Kentucky,
1: Kentucky. yes,
0: thank you Uh, Kentucky and now Kansas But after Kentucky There was just one point difference Between the number 18 for Coy Gibbs the number 25 for Kathy Venturini, the number 15 for Bill Venturini, three points separate those top three cars. So you can see how important this race is going to be for this General Tire Super Speedway Challenge points. Uh, these guys are very, very tight. And the number 23 of Stacy Holmes is uh, just three points behind uh, that third place spot. And the number four for David Gilliland is, uh, let's see, that's about 12 points behind uh, the number four car for Stacey Holmes. So that is your top five. But it continues to be equally tight all the way down that list, Jay.
1: <clears throat> level here in the Arkham Yard series, uh, so increased over the past few years, especially in one like this where it, it may – we have to look at the the car and not necessarily the driver, as you mentioned. Uh, Ty Gibbs, one that's not able to run the whole schedule. Chandler Smith, and I know he's uh, pretty much dominated in the, in the short track side of it. Um, so you have to look at the car owner to to really see where the the winning team has been, not just the driver.
0: Exactly. So uh, the the other t- uh, the other. Um races that are on this schedule include the Michigan race and the second Kansas race. So there's three more races to take place in this challenge. And uh, this race, this first Kansas race is going to be preparation for the second Kansas race, I believe, Jay.
1: Most certainly. And we saw how that came down last year. We talked about a Chandler Smith beating Michael self in the final event. So uh, that is a huge play, and what they're able to learn and put together this weekend most certainly should come into play when they return there.
0: Yes, indeed. Okay, the last thing we'll kind of go through here is uh, the series point standings. We kind of touched on it a little bit, but just to take it further down the list here, we'll cover the series point standings for this Arkham Menard series. Uh, Michael Self, of course, does lead by 19 points over Brett Holmes. In third place is his teammate, Drew Dollar. And then we have uh, Haley Deegan in fourth place. And Thad Moffat rounds out the top five here. The next five are Ryan Huff. Ty Gibbs, keep in mind, uh, Ryan Huff has only six of the seven races run. Ty Gibbs has only five of those seven races one, run as does uh, Sam Mayer, has only five of those races. Uh, In ninth place is Chandler Smith, only four races in the books. And in fifth place, I'm sorry, in tenth place is Tanner Gray, with five races in the books. So it's kind of interesting to watch that second group, because uh, they're more of the part-time drivers that you just referenced, Jay.
1: That's right, starting with 6th place Ryan Huff. Now, he obviously can move up as he'll get his 7th start in this race, number 8. Ty Gibbs, you mentioned Sam uh, Mayer and Chandler Smith not in, so that will allow Tanner Gray to close up a little bit above those guys. And then uh, Scott Melton is the one in 11th. I don't remember him being on the entry list. But 12th and 13th, there you have Brad Smith and Jason Kitzmiller who are so they'll slide up a little bit as well.
0: Okay. So those are all kind of pretty contested spots uh, on the uh, series point standing. So uh, a few of those drivers are really going to have a golden opportunity here uh, to move up that list. Jay, uh, we're, do you have a pick for this weekend in the Arkham and Art series?
1: Yeah, I don't know what. I'm going to go out on a little bit of a limb uh, I'm gonna go with You're Haley take Deegan, my driver. Which, which, what, oh, oh really? Wow. <laughs> I
0: thought I thought you were gonna take my driver. You didn't.
1: <laughs> oh, okay. Um, I just with the improvement we've seen, uh, this is one of her better tracks. Already has a start on it, so uh, I think uh, I think we might see that breakout win for for Haley Degan with the uh, DGR Crosley machine.
0: Okay, uh, I'm going to kind of go out on a limb too I want to pick Michael Self Because I would really love to see Michael Self continue uh, to win In that uh, Venturini uh, number 25 car that he drives and, and I'm sure he has a really good shot at doing that this weekend But I'm going to go out on the limb too, Jay uh, As soon as you said that, I'm like, oh no, he's going to take my guy um, I'm going to take Riley Erbst to be the driver that might end up in victory lane. And I'm going to attribute it to the fact that he's had a lot of really good experience in the Xfinity series. And I think these Arca cars, uh, that while not being exactly the same, I think there's a lot more similarities than differences. And I think that that Xfinity experience is really going to help him out this weekend.
1: Oh, it certainly will uh, experience like that. Any, any kind of series you go into then the experience like that. So Uh, We didn't exactly take the low-hanging fruit, but uh, both of them have a very good shot of winning. They've been top five. Uh, I know Riley Herbst, again, doesn't get as many starts looking down, seeing if I even see him on the list here. He only has two so far this year, one of them being a top five, both of them being top ten. So certainly should be in contention for the victory.
0: Okay. Okay. So we've got just a couple of minutes here. We're going into the truck series. Uh, I think we can cover our fantasy game uh, fan for racing crew here for the truck series.
1: Um, Actually, we only have three in there. This is week again with the double header. We got a little bit of a shift going on. Uh, Waiting to see if normally on lunch break is when I can get a hold of uh, James. So, let me check here. Oh, okay, I haven't seen anything back from him yet, but we got three sets of picks in so far. Sam started us off, took Austin Hill in both races, and being the first guy to pick, uh, titled to do that. That was kind of one of one of the drivers anyway that I was looking at, kind of messed me up. But uh, Sharon came along, got the pick second, and messed me up even some more. Uh, she took Grant Enfinger in the first race and Ben Rhodes in the second race. So that left me with a bit of a quandary, and I went ahead and did the same thing. I got two different drivers. I'm going to take Todd Gillen in the first race and Grant Enfinger then in the second race. And I looked at Todd Gillen's stats, and his stats for that track, I believe he's got one or two races only, look good. My issue with them is, again, if they don't tend to run good, they do bad so I didn't want to take him for both Races I I, I, lied. I have a good Feeling about him but I wasn't not Enough to take him for both races because that's One of those teams that they're not quite On it on the first race the Second race coming right behind the day behind I don't see a whole lot of great improvements So uh, I may regret It if he does really well in both races But like I said I just didn't Quite have that full confidence but I think they'll come Out strong in the first race
0: No Okay Now, uh, can you give us the overall for the truck series going
1: in? All right. For the points in the truck series, this one, uh, Andy, this one was close. It's still close, but it was a lot closer. Andy uh, come out good on this one again last weekend. He now leads the series at 31 points. Uh, Owen has 28. Then it drops back. Sharon's at 23. Sam is at 22. James is at 20. Mike is at 19. And for anybody that might be thinking I'm adding points to mine, I'm at 16. So if I'm adding points to mine, I'm not doing a very good job there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, that's uh, unusual for you, Jay. I will say that. Uh, but I do yeah. think that uh, uh, this, it's been an interesting year in this in the truck series, and it's going to be uh, continue to be interesting for the rest of this year. So, uh, can't wait to see how that continues to play out. Let's go ahead and get into our, uh, Gander, our Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series uh, review, preview, because they are having a double header this week. That's why we have two picks uh, for that series. Uh, the Kansas 200 will take place Friday, July the 24th, starting at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Coverage will start on Fox Sports 1 at 6.30 p.m. Eastern with radio coverage on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR radio. They're going to be racing a distance of 201 miles, 134 laps uh, in total. So stage 1 ends on lap 30, stage 2 on lap 60, and then the final stage, of course, always ends on the last lap, lap 134. Last year's winner of this event was actually Ross Chastain. Now, uh, the can, they'll, they'll race another Kansas Speed. The second race is called Kansas Speedway 200, as opposed to Kansas 200. Uh, that race will take place on Saturday, July the 25th. Again, 1.30 p.m. for the uh, race start, but Fox Sports 1 will have their pre-race coverage starting at 1 p.m. Radio coverage is on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR radio. The length is exactly the same as the first race, 201 miles over 134 laps, stage one ending on lap 30, stage two on lap 60, and the final stage on the last lap. So with that, we'll go ahead and get into our truck series preview.
1: I'll right, start with the rookies. Take a look there, the rookie update. Christian Ecke still leads the way for the Gander Truck Sinoco Rookie of the Year contenders. He has four awards and 267 points. Watching him run, it may look like he's running away from it, but he's not. Zane Smith is right behind him, only 10 points back with two awards of his own. Derek Krause is sitting third in the rookie points with one award, and Tanner Gray fourth with one award and 177 points. And what, what I look at there, though, is Derek Krauss and Tanner Gray don't have as much experience as we mentioned earlier coming through the Arkham Menard series, so I think we're seeing that come into play as we get further into the season. I see that tightening up just a little bit maybe.
0: Yes, indeed. I, I agree with you. I think the second half really uh, tells the tale when it comes to the rookies because uh, by that time they've had some experience Racing in the series and racing against the regular drivers in the series, and they start to really start to perform a little bit better in the second half, so that should get pretty tight. Uh, we're also going to look at shaking up the playoff picture post Texas. The only two drivers that are currently locked into the NASCAR Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series playoffs heading into Friday night's uh, first truck race at Kansas Speedway are Thor Sport Racing's Grant Infinger and GMS Racing's Sheldon Creed. That means there are still eight postseason spots that are up for grabs. Uh, Grant Infinger, of course, has that two wins with 11 playoff points And then Sheldon Creed has the one win. He has eight playoff points. So both of those drivers are into the playoffs based on their victories. Uh, Next in line, based on points, uh, is Austin Hill. Fourth place is Ben Rhodes. You've got the rookie Christian Eckes rounding out the top five here. And uh, the difference here is, what, 15 points from first to uh, fifth. The next five drivers are Zane Smith, another rookie. Uh, then you've got Brett Moffat in seventh, Tyler Ankrum in eighth, Todd Gilliland ninth, and Matt Crafton is now on the top side of the playoff line. So that was he had a really good finish uh, last week at Texas. He was below the line, and now he is above that line. Now, here's the thing: the next Set of drivers are all below the cutoff line. Derek Kraus, one of the rookies, is just 11 points back of the cutoff line. Johnny Sauter, who had an engine blow last week at Texas, uh, was above that cutoff line. He's now below the cutoff line at 203 points. He's 22 points out, as is Stuart Friesen in 13th place. Tanner Gray another one of the rookies and Raphael Lasard, round out the top 15. Uh Lassard being 58 points back. So this is this too is getting to be really tight. Uh and we're seeing a, a few drivers bounce back and forth based on what's happening in a particular race for them. So with 16 races in the book, former series champion Johnny Sauter is below that cutoff line after a tough performance last week at Texas Motor Speedway. Uh, also, he's uh, <clears throat> Derek Cross is 11th, the first spot outside that cutoff point. Matt Crafton, uh, who is outside, is now on top. Looking at Kansas, the four sport teammates of Sauter and Crafton are the only Truck Series championship contenders entered this weekend with previous wins at the 1.5-mile track. Ross Chastain is a previous winner, but he's not a championship contender. Although, if he wins, that does mean another week without a full-time Gander Truck Series race winner. Johnny Sauters made 11 starts at Kansas with a win coming in only his second start. That was in 2010. He posted six top fives, seven top tens, and he has an average finish of 10.0. Crafton has made the most uh, starts at Texas with 19. Uh, He has two wins, 2013 and 15. It says at Texas, I think they mean Kansas. Um, But he has five top fives, ten top tens. He has one pole with an average finish of 12.1. So we'll have to see how that plays out at Kansas. Uh, we might see some more uh, jostling around there in the series point standings. That's why those guys aren't uh, secure yet in that playoff picture.
1: We may have to talk about in-hot topics coming up later on at the top of the hour because I know I got a couple of notes there on that, that whole playoff bubble there in the truck series. So we'll hit on that Mm -hmm. later. Something to look forward to here, though, is the triple truck challenge is back. That's returning after a successful debut last year. The program will start, or started at the, will start at the Daytona International Speedway Road Course on Sunday, August 16th. The second race will place, take place at Dover International Speedway, and the third race of the challenge will be at Worldwide Technology at Gateway on August 30th. And this year's rules it will copy the last season. The drivers will compete for cash prizes like the $50,000 bonus the race winner of any of the three events, they have to be Truck Series regulars, I believe. I'll we'll get to that in a minute. If a driver wins two of the three events, they're awarded the extra fifty thousand uh, on top of that for a hundred and fifty thousand. If they win all three events, they take home an additional three hundred thousand for a total of five hundred thousand dollars in prize money. That's a big now, deal. The last. That's a huge deal, especially in this truck series, most certainly, Uh, similar to the Xfinity Series Dash for Cash program. Now, last year, Greg Biffle came out of retirement in 2019 to win the first Triple Chuck Challenge event at Texas Motor Speedway for Kyle Busch Motorsports. Then Brett Moffitt won at Iowa Speedway, and Ross Chastain won at Gateway. This trip was originally supposed to take place beginning on April 18th, at Richmond Raceway and continue into May and Dover in May into May at Dover and then Charlotte Motor Speedway. But again because of the COVID nineteen pandemic it was rescheduled. Again, I like what NASCAR's doing. They're they're not eliminating things. They're trying to get this all fit in. But One thing I wanted to look at there, though, and it doesn't clarify it, I know Greg Biffle won it last year, so I'm not sure if it has to be a truck series regular or just not somebody running for points in another series, I think maybe is how the rule is written.
0: Okay. Okay, now uh, the truck series is going to be making some history this weekend at Kansas Speedway. They're embarking on their very first ever double header weekend. As we mentioned before, they're racing on Friday night and they'll be racing again on Saturday afternoon. So the Gander Trucks has never been part of a doubleheader weekend, but with the COVID nineteen pandemic and the various schedule updates Uh, the stars aligned for this weekend's doubleheader at Kansas Speedway. Now, there have been 19 Gander Truck Series races at Kansas Speedway. The first race was held July 7th of 2001, and that was actually won by Ricky Hendrick. Hendrick. Since then, there's been 17 different race winners and 15 different pole winners. Three races have been won from the pole position and the reigning gander uh, truck series champion matt crafton holds the race record at 139.857 miles per hour done on may 8th of 2015 crafton johnny sauter ross Chastain are the only previous winners entered to run the race this weekend at kansas and crafton has two wins at kansas he won there in 2013 and 15 Sauter has the one win in 2010, and Chastain is the most recent winner, having won there just last season with one win. Now, two Gander Truck Series races at Kansas, uh, again, they'll both be the same uh, length at 201 miles, 134 laps, 30 laps, Uh, for both the first and second stage with the last uh, stage ending on that last lap, lap 134. Now, two drivers in history have gotten their first truck series career win at Kansas Speedway. That would include William Byron, who won on May 6th of 2016, and Chastain's, Chastain's win last spring, May 10th. The series has a lot of drivers that are still looking for their truck series win. And could Kansas be the place that they get it done, Jay? It's very possible we may see a new winner this weekend. First-time winner.
1: It is possible, and at the top of the list, I'd have to say maybe Christian Eckes. As he starts on the pole in the uh, Kyle Busch Motorsports truck. So if you're going to go that route, he's the one I'd put at the top of that list.
0: Yes, and I haven't seen the entry list yet, but if Anthony Alfredo is on there, I might put him in that category as well. Uh, He's had some impressive runs in the truck series and the Xfinity series. Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say even a driver like Anthony Alfredo could end up winning this weekend.
1: Well, down the lineup, uh, I'm not seeing Anthony Alfredo um we got a little bit He's of time you want the... me to go down the lineup
0: yeah let's go ahead and do the lineup and then i'll play some post-race audio i mean pre-race uh, audio uh,
1: your fr- your front row is going to be christian eckes and brett Moffitt. second row will be todd gillen and brandon jones jones is driving the number 51 for kyle bush motorsports then you got ben rhodes and austin hill Zane Smith could get his first career win as a rookie. Grant Infinger, that makes up row number four. Ninth and 10 spots, you got Tyler Ankrum and Sheldon Creed. Oh,
0: row okay. six. That'll be the. Oh, okay. I thought we were oh, doing right. <laughs> 10 minutes. Oh, ten. go ahead. Okay. Row ahead. six is uh, last year's winner, Ross Chastain. Uh, he starts 11th. Raphael Assard, the rookie, starts in. Uh, the 12th spot in row 7, we have another rookie, Tanner Gray, in 13th with Stuart Friesen starting in 14th place. Row 8 has uh, another rookie, Derek Krause, in 15th place. And Chase Purdy, Ah, oh, there's a name I haven't heard in a while. It's good to see him in that 16th place spot uh, driving the number 24 car. Row 9th, we have Matt Crafton starting 17th. And Johnny Sauter, another one of the veterans, starting in 18th place uh, on the same row. Row 10 is uh, two rookies, Ty Majewski in the number 45 and Spencer Davis in that number 11 car.
1: All right, row 11. There you got the 44 of Natalie Decker and the number 33 of Kevin Donahue. Row 12, Austin Wayne Self and Timmy Hill. We talked about him a little bit earlier with his brother getting his first start uh, in the uh, Arkham Menard series. Row 13, Brennan Poole and Dawson Cram. Row 14 is Corey Roper, and another rookie, the 0-2, will be Tate Fogelman. The 15th row spots 29 and 30. We mentioned him earlier as a car owner, the number 9 of Cody Robaugh, and the number 20 of Spencer Boyd.
0: Okay, next up, uh, starting with row 16, is Forrester and Jordan Anderson, starting 31st and 32nd. In the 17th row is Clay Greenfield and Robbie Lyons, the 2nd. In row 18, there is Ray Siccarelli and Jennifer Jo Cobb. And in the 19th row, the last row for this race is Brian that with Norm Benning. So, there you have your starting lineup for the Gigander Outdoor Truck Series at Kansas Speedway. Okay, I do have some post race audio here, or pre race audio. I keep saying post. Uh, Some pre race audio, and uh, I want to go with the truck series drivers. Jay, I'll let you choose. We have um, Grant Infinger in the number 98, we have Todd Gilliland in the number 38. Uh, are the two drivers that we can choose from for this truck series. Now, Grant's is about 13 minutes and 45 seconds. Uh, Todd's is 12 minutes and 19 seconds.
1: Being that uh, I said I was picking him for the first race but not the second, let's try Todd Gillen see if he adds to my confidence level.
0: <laughs> okay. Todd Gillen driving the number 38 for Front Row Motorsports. Ford, so we'll hear what Todd Gilliland has to say.
4: Started with our afternoon media availability, or I should say continue on with uh, Todd Gilliland, driver of the number 38 Speedco Ford, who will roll off third in uh, this weekend's first of two NASCAR Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series races at Kansas Speedway. Todd, uh, just walk us through your excitement about this uh, historic doubleheader weekend at Kansas Speedway.
3: I'm super excited. Um, they've been a lot of fun to watch, you know, from outside the, the vehicle. But um, you know, you see a lot of points gained or lost during um, you know the two Xfinity doubleheaders this far, and um, I just look at it as a great opportunity for us. I think we can run really good here. We, um, you know, pretty much only ran mile and a half this year so far, so we've been. Been able to to fine-tune that stuff a little bit. I think we've been getting a little bit better um, every week. So this is two chances and and also kind of a little bit of practice simulation. Um, You know, you kind of get a chance to work on your truck, actually, for, you know, probably our only time this year. So um, just really looking forward to it. Two chances at a win.
4: Good deal. Well, we're going to go ahead and open the floor up for questions. If you have a question, please raise your hand, and we will uh, get to you. Uh, we're going to start with Claire B. Lyon with SiriusXM NASCAR Radio. Go ahead, Claire.
0: Thank you. You finished 27th in a truck accident at Texas, and I know you are so motivated now, so motivated to go to Kansas and redeem that. What's your toughest challenge at Kansas? Do you think?
3: I think, I think just balancing aggression versus, um, you know, obviously we want to race the same truck the second day to to maintain our starting position and. And also it's just a better truck that's what the guys have spent more time on that's what we plan to do is race that truck two times so you know it's a balance like i said that and um, last year the group was pretty high pretty close to the wall so um obviously if you scrape up the right side in the truck um it's a little bit
0: tougher to get that back to exactly perfect
3: um you know as, as an xfinity car is with the composite body so um, I think it's just balancing a little bit of aggression. Obviously, we're gonna try and go out there, and if we got a chance at the win, we're gonna we're gonna go for it. You know, the, once you get a win on the first day, the second day uh, will definitely be a lot easier. So, um, I think it's just the the balance of aggression versus making it live uh, two days in a row.
0: And how? Okay, I'm gonna go ahead and end it there. Uh, you know, he talks about one of the things that we've talked a lot about uh, here and vampire racing. Uh, is that that's one of the key learning things for drivers is learning how to balance uh, being aggressive on the track, but still having the car to go after the victory at the end of the race.
1: Most certainly. And he is one that we have seen in the past of maybe on that uh, other side of it, of being too aggressive uh, and overdriving the vehicle and, and costing himself spots. I know this past weekend, the accident, he was running good, wasn't his fault. Um, So, I I like what I see in the maturity level of him. What he mentioned is obviously on his mind of that second race immediately following, but he did have the positive Mm -hmm. aspect to it. You know, he said you're going to run the high line, that it was where the groove was last year, so you're going to be up against the wall, but you don't want to damage it. And that's on his mind of keeping the same truck, which is your primary truck for a reason, and your starting position going into day number two. So, uh, I like what I hear from him as far as that. He is thinking about it and, like you said, the overall aggression of finding that balance.
0: Yeah, that's one of the biggest learning curves I think that the new drivers have coming into this sport is learning how to how to balance that aggression and have their car at the end. Uh, and in this case, I think this is a great learning opportunity for a lot of these drivers because they've got to not only keep their car or their truck for the end of the race, they've got to keep it for the end of two races.
1: That certainly does come into play when you're talking about these double headers. And again, this is historic for the truck series. He mentioned it. He said he likes seeing it when he's at home watching these other series. Now he's going to be in it. We'll see what his thoughts are coming out of it. Once he participates in it.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So I think we're ready now to go ahead and move on Jay to the NASCAR Xfinity series, also racing at Kansas speedway in the Kansas lottery 2.50 this Saturday, uh, July the 25th. That race will start at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. NBC Sports Network will have their pre-race coverage starting at 4.30, as will MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. They'll be racing a distance of 250.5 miles over 167 laps. The first stage ends on lap 40, the second stage on lap eighty, with that last stage ending on the last lap. Last year's winner was Brandon Jones. So before we get into the um, uh, into the uh, preview here, why don't we go over our fan for racing group? I believe one of our people might have picked Brandon Jones.
1: Uh, did indeed went a little further down the list, but. Uh, the top top drivers are going to go quick. So Sharon took Chase Briscoe, followed up with the James, taking Austin Sindrick. Next went Ross Chastain to Andy. Mike took Harrison Burton. And then this is where Brandon Jones comes into play. Owen picked him up, and that left me and Sam. And <laughs> Sam actually went with Noah Gregson, so I went with Justin Haley.
0: Okay, I think every one of those guys are great picks for this weekend. It's going to be fun to see which one ends up on top. What's the overall points in the Xfinity Series, Jay?
1: In the Xfinity Series here, Andy is uh, thumping us now, 68 points. I'm second at 52. Here we got tightened up a little bit more. Sharon is at 44. Sam's at 43. Owen and James are right behind at 39 and 37. And even Mike, again, getting that late start, is at 30. So aside from Andy uh, really thumping on us here in the Xfinity Series, uh, that one should be a good battle.
0: Okay. Uh, Getting into the preview here, uh, Kaz Grawa is going to be back behind the wheel of the number 21 this weekend in the NASCAR Xfinity Series debut at Kansas Speedway. He's driving the number 21 for Richard Childress Racing, and he'll be in that Chevrolet this week. Uh, the race will mark his 28th career start. Uh, last season, he made five starts for RCR and had a season-best finish of fifth at Road America. Grella has never made a start in the Xfinity Series career at Kansas, so this weekend is his first race at that track. As far as his Xfinity Series career, though, uh, Gralla has three top fives. He has six top tens to his name, and he has led 13 laps. So he may be one wondering. He could be a spoiler maker this weekend at Kansas.
1: He certainly could be. I believe he's starting third. We'll see if we can get to the lineup a little later on. But it's great to see him back in a car. Okay. Okay. This... NOCO Rookie of the Year. Harrison Burton finished fourth last weekend at Texas Motor Speedway, making him the highest finishing rookie and awarding him the Rookie of the Year race. So far, Burton has won 11 rookie awards this season. Jesse Little was the second highest finishing rookie in 14th. And Riley Herbst, who won the rookie award at Kentucky Speedway with a strong run, was involved in an early on-track incident, forcing him to finish 36th. Luckily for Herbs, he is still holding on to his second-place ranking in the standings, though. As we look ahead to Kansas, Burton has made one start at the track in 2019 for Joe Gibbs Racing. He'll be looking for redemption, though, on Saturday as he finished 34th last season after being involved in a wreck on lap 70. Burton is the only rookie with any experience under his belt at Kansas, so the other five drivers will be making their track debut. Take a look at the points. It is Harrison Burton at 536, Riley Herbst at 377, Jesse Little at 297, Joe Graff Jr. is at 218, Myatt Schneider at 158, and Cody Vanderwall at 95.
0: Okay, now we'll take a look at a couple of junior motorsports drivers, uh, Daniel Hemrick and Justin Allgauer. Uh We just may see them show some strength and speed this weekend at Kansas. Um, Justin Algauer right now is ranked first in the closers category with an average finish of 10.9. He also has an average number of spots gained at 3.3 and positions moved up being 30. Gower has the 8th best average running position and the 6th best average driver rating at 90.1. If it were not for bad luck, <laughs> poor Gower wouldn't have any luck at all. Uh, he'd probably have a win right now uh, in this season, but he's had some penalties and some wrecks that have taken him out of contention in numerous races he's led 417 laps so far this season but he has seven and he also has seven stage wins but he has yet to get a checkered flag he does have four top 5s he has eight top 10s in 16 starts his laps led is the third most of any driver in the series. Daniel Hemrick, who runs a part-time basis for Junior Motorsports in that number eight Chevrolet, has strong numbers at Kansas and is another one from Junior Motorsports Camp to keep an eye out for this weekend. He has the second-best driver rating at Kansas at 115.8. That's behind Kyle Busch, who's in first. He also has the best average speed early in a run. Uh, His best average speed in a run is ranked third. Uh, And let's see. He is ranked third for fastest laps run, which is uh, 54, and is the fastest on restarts. Samrick is also the only other driver entered this weekend who has won a pole award previously. He won the pole in 2018. Of his 10 starts, Hemrick has two top fives, he has six top tens, and he's also led 10 laps. With his experience at the track, he might be able to secure a win in that number eight uh, for his team this weekend. I certainly
1: count him out. He is one, uh, uh, even though he's running part-time, I can see he's picking up a victory.
0: Mm-hmm. That would be awesome Now we'll look at...
1: Yes, it would. Yes, it would. Uh, First in any of the top three series. So, Let's take Mm -hmm. a look at the playoff shakeup, uh, how it came out after Texas. Six drivers locked into the playoffs with a win. Spots 7 through 12 are still up for grabs, and the competition is getting crazier each week. Right now, Ross Chastain holds the seventh spot in the driver playoff standings as the first driver without a win. Justin Allgaier is right behind Chastain in eighth, And junior motorsports teammate Michael Annette is ninth. Riley Herbst, another Snoko Rookie of the Year contender, is handling uh, the 10th spot, while Ryan Sieg and Brandon Brown round out the top 12. And Jeremy Clements has seen a lot of success in recent weeks, bumping himself right up below the cutoff line in 13th. Then you have the Rookie of the Year contender, Maya Schneider, is sitting 14th, and fellow rookie Jesse Little in 15th. A little hasn't been ranked that high in the playoff all se- playoff standings all season until now. Right now, take a look at Gregson, has the most stage wins, stage wins of any driver this season with eight, and teammate Algar has the second most with seven, and that will come into play uh, once we get to the playoffs. So if we look at it, Perhaps. Chase Briscoe, uh, if we were to do the reset today It would be Chase Briscoe at the top with 5 wins Austin Sindrick 3 Noah Gregson 2 Harrison Burton 2 Justin Haley 1 Brandon Jones 1 Would be your top 6 And would we say Gregson has 8 Algar has 7 The next closest is Austin Sindrick with 5 um, So it's going gonna, gonna to be interesting Once they get reshuffled and relined up And we still got some racing though to do Before we get there obviously
0: Absolutely. Now, you'll remember last weekend, Austin Sindrick won his third consecutive series victory after Kyle Busch in the number 54 Toyota was disqualified. So the series is really looking forward to getting back on track for 167 laps at Kansas Speedway. Cindric is now sitting pretty good in second place in the playoff standings. He's 24 points behind Chase Briscoe. Briscoe leads the series with those five wins this season, and Cindric is right behind him with three. There are currently six drivers locked into the Xfinity Series playoffs, including Briscoe, Cindric, Noah Gregson, Harrison Burton, Justin Haley, and Brandon Jones. Burton, a Sunoco Rookie of the Year contender, is the highest-ranked rookie, and he has two wins so far this season. Justin Algauer is the highest-ranked driver without a win so far this season. He's in sixth, 146 points back from the points leader. Jones got his first Xfinity Series career victory at Kansas last season and is the only driver entered with a previous win at the track. Jones, who has been the recipient of a streak of bad luck in the last few weeks, will head into Saturday's race with a little bit of momentum on his side. Now, Matt Kenseth holds the series qualifying record at the track from October 17th of 2015 at 184.906 miles per hour. Christopher Bell holds the race record from October twenty first of twenty seventeen at one hundred and forty one point one five eight miles per hour. Kyle Bush holds the record for the most wins with four. Kinseth holds the record for the most poles with three. And Bush holds the records for the most top fives, he has eight, and the most top tens in which he has ten. Now Toyota has the most race wins by a manufacturer with nine. And in 2016, we saw the most caution laps in a race at the track was 51. And the fewest caution laps in a race at 20, was that happened in 2017. Now, the inaugural Xfinity Series race at Kansas was in 2001. That was won by Jeff Green, the current crew chief for RSS Racing. He went back-to-back winning in 2002 as well. Only two races have been won from the pole position in 2010 and in 2016. This weekend's Kansas Lottery 250, uh, the stages uh, will end, as I mentioned earlier, uh, 40 laps each for stages one and two, with the last lap being the last uh, lap of the third stage. So there we have it for the NASCAR Xfinity Series. We've got a couple minutes here Uh, to go over that uh, uh, entry list, Jay. All right.
1: Well, I don't have it in the entry list format. I have the uh, lineup up again.
0: Yeah, that's fine. The uh, lineup is what I meant to say.
1: Okay. All right. Well, I'll start us off with that front row is Michael Annette and Brandon Jones. Uh, Michael Annette in the number one, Brandon Jones in the nineteen. Uh, second row there, we mentioned the 21 of Richard Childress Racing, Kaz Grala, and Austin Sindrick. They were a three-time winner, three races in a row. Row three, Harrison Burton and Chase Briscoe. Row four is the 10 of Ross Jastain and the 18 of rookie Riley Herbst. Row five, one we talked about from Junior Motorsports, the number eight of Daniel Hemrick, Hemrick and teammate Noah Gregson on the outside in the number nine machine.
0: Okay, starting with row six, we have Justin Algauer and Justin Haley starting 11th and 12th. In row seven, we have Jeffrey Earnhardt. That's a pretty good start for him, starting 13th. And Jesse Little, uh, another one of the rookies, he's the third highest rookie, starting 14th. Row eight, you have David Starr in 15th and Ryan Sieg starting in 16th. Row nine is Jeremy Clements and Dexter Bean. And in row 10 at 19th is Alex LeBay, and starting 20th is B.J. McLeod.
1: Another name we haven't heard in a while. Uh, row number yeah. 11, the 21st spot, that'll be the 61 of Timmy Hill. And the 22, again, are looking for the playoffs, Brandon Brown in the number 68. The 02 will be Brett Moffett, and the 92 will be Josh Williams. Josh Williams, another one outside that playoff bubble. Row 13, that'll be Stephen Light in the number 66 and the 99 of Ja Jr. Avila. Row 14, Bailey Curley and Tommy Joe Martins. Row 15, mentioned him in the rookie points. The 52 will be Cody Vanderwall, And in the number 15 will be Ryan Vargas.
0: All right. Starting in row 16 is Chad Fincham and Matt Mills. Uh row seventeen we have Myatt Snyder, another one of the rookies with another rookie, Joe Graff Jr. Uh Myatt will be driving the number ninety three this weekend and Joe his familiar zero eight. Uh row eighteen, we have Kyle Weatherman driving the number forty seven with uh Benny Miller in the number seventy eight. And in row nineteen is Colin Garrett uh driving the number uh twenty six. There are twenty seven Chevrolets eight Toyotas and two Fords in this NASCAR Xfinity series event. All right. Just to uh, stand for up audio. Just, oh, go Good.
1: ahead. I was gonna say to stand up for uh for uh, Amanda's dad there, those two Fords are holding their own for sure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they certainly are. Okay, we have uh Harrison Burton uh, for the number 20 of Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota, or we have Kaz Grala in that number 21 for Richard Childress Racing's Chevrolet. Which one would you like to hear from, Jay?
1: We haven't heard or seen from Kaz Grala, so I think we got to go with uh, with him.
0: Okay, let's hear what Kaz Grala has to say about driving the number 21 for Richard Childress Racing this weekend in their Chevrolet.
4: Kaz Kaz, can you hear us? I can. Good deal. We are now joined by Kaz Gralla, who's driving the number twenty one Rudabush.com Chevrolet for Richard Childress Racing this weekend at Kansas Speedway. Uh what's been going on with you? It's been a while since we've got a chance to see you. Uh how uh you know, what's what's been going on with you as you prepare for this weekend at Kansas?
2: Uh, well, a lot of preparation indeed, and uh, certainly had the time to do so. It's been almost a year since my last start in the NASCAR Xfinity Series, so um, I've definitely been sad and missing the competition, but I've been able to stay warmed up. Uh, I do some coaching in super late models, um, also have done a lot of racing. I got into it uh, more heavily than than I uh, was before, just like a lot of people during quarantine, so I feel still fresh and, and ready to go in a race car and I suppose I'll I'll have to be because I'm rolling off from the third starting spot on Saturday, so uh, I'll I'll have to get up to speed and hurry.
4: Good deal. We're going to open up the floor for questions, and our first question is going to come from Daniel McFadden of NBC Sports. Go ahead, Daniel. Go ahead, Daniel. Thank you. Okay. We'll try to get Daniel back. We're, our next question will come from Dustin Albino. Go ahead, Dustin.
3: Yeah, Kaz, as you mentioned, it's been nearly a year. Uh, Road America was your last start. So for this weekend and I guess going forward, how much additional pressure is there on you to perform because you haven't had the opportunities?
2: Um, well, you know, I, I think a lot of people would assume that I feel like I have pressure on me. But honestly, um, I don't. I'm, I'm excited for it. It's It's been a while, and uh, – I definitely am geared up and ready to do it. So um, for me, I don't think the team puts any pressure on me per se. I think they've, they've run well throughout the year so far. They expect to continue to run well. But um, having run with them last year, I know that I can I can do that behind the wheel as well and, and get them um, the, the finishes that, that they deserve just like we did last year. We finished on a top five at Road America last year. So um, I guess if momentum can carry over for a whole year, then we have momentum going into this race, uh, coming off the top five. So um, I definitely think that, that we've got a really good shot to run up front. I'm welcoming Ruta Bush Development and Construction on the car this weekend, which is new for me. Um, and So I'm really excited to be working with Mr. Rudabush and, and his team over there. Um, they'll be in Kansas. They won't be able to go to the track, unfortunately. Uh, because of the restrictions, but they're going to be there um, in the town and, and in spirit, and they're excited about it. So I, I want to get a good run for them and, and for RCR as an organization.
0: Okay. Uh, that sounds like a lot of confidence there for uh, Kaz Growler.
1: It does, and I'm glad to see he has it. I, I know that you, know, you try and set it aside, the, the pressure that he was asked about, um, that you try to put that aside knowing you've got limited starts and limited opportunities to showcase. But I think the fact that he did how well he did in the limited starts last year, he's gone through this limited schedule thing before and knowing where that RCR number 21 has been running gives him the confidence. But also then, like I said, it's got to have some little bit of pressure to it, knowing that it has been there and he needs to keep it there, but he shows that confidence and, and faith that he can. So, uh, I do like it, and he's one of the drivers I'd like to see get a full-time ride.
0: Okay, yes, indeed. I'm right there with you. All right, moving on to our Cup Series, the NASCAR Cup Series at Kansas Speedway. The Superstar Batteries 400, presented by O'Reilly Auto Parts, will take place tonight July the 23rd at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time. NBC Sports Network will start their pre-race coverage at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, and radio coverage will be on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR radio. They'll be racing a distance of 400.5 miles over 267 laps. The first two stages are 80 laps each, and the final stage will end on the last lap, lap 267. Last year's winner was Denny Hamlin. So that's going to be interesting to see what Denny does uh, going into this race because uh, there's a competition between him and Kevin Arvik.
1: All right. Before I get to the rookie update, we well, will give one news note thing here. The practice qualifying has been canceled for the rest of the 2020 season. NASCAR announced this week that the remainder of the 2020 season will be run without practice or qualifying in all three of the National Series events. Uh, there is going to be some changes to the lineup draw procedure for the playoff races. That will be announced at a later date. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Uh, talking about the rookies, Sunoco Rookie of the Year update for the NASCAR Cup Series. That's candidate uh, Richard Childress Racing's driver Tyler Reddick hosted his series career best second-place finish last weekend at Texas. It was the first time since 2011 at uh, Talladega when Clint Boyer and Jeff Burton that RCR, RCR drivers finished 1-2 in the series. And is also Reddick's eighth Rookie of the Year award this season. Now has an 88-point lead on second-place Christopher Bell in the Snoco rookie standings.
0: Okay, we mentioned uh, Denny Hamlin being last year's race winner. Uh, it, there's another driver that would love to beat him this year, and that's Kevin Harvick. His lead right now could help carry him into the championship board. Throughout 18 races this season, Stuart Haas Racing's Kevin Harvick has been the class of the field, and his lead on the competitors might be enough to carry him into the playoffs championship four. He's currently tied with Denny Hamlin for the series' most wins this season. They each have four, and he's leading series driver standings by an astounding 91 points over second-place Ryan Blaney. All those stats sound great, but what does it mean come playoff time? Well, it isn't good news for his competitors. Harvick's uh, four wins – Five playoff points each, plus two stage wins, has garnered him 22 playoff points so far. With almost a two-race lead in points over second-place Ryan Blaney, uh, who's 91 points back, it will be nearly impossible for him not to win the regular season championship, which will award Kevin Harvick with 15 additional playoff points bringing his total to 37 playoff points to carry into the postseason competition. Nearly a race-winning total of 40 above his competitors, and that's if he doesn't win any more in these last eight races of the regular season. I'm thinking that he's probably going to win at least one. (laughs) Harvick has made 28 series starts at Kansas. He's posted five polls, the series' most, He has three wins tied for the series most. He has eight top fives, 15 top tens, and his average finish at Kansas is 9.7.
1: Well, since this uh, format has started, uh, playoff points will carry you a long way. Most of the time you don't even need it because if you're running that consistently to build the lead, you're going to stay that way, but it does prevent that hiccup costing you.
0: Yes, indeed. Uh,
1: now, we want, now we want to look at the playoff bubble. Uh, playoff picture in the Cup Series has really taken shape, as we've had two new winners in the past two races. The 2020 Cup Series playoff picture is uh, becoming clearer now over these past mentioned Cole Custer, rookie, uh, one at Kentucky, and Austin Dillon at Texas, and they've locked themselves into the postseason on wins. Now there are just six spots left to make the playoffs as the series heads this weekend to Kansas Speedway for tonight's Superstart Batteries four hundred presented by O'Reilly Auto Parks. Drivers that with wins that are locked into the playoffs, Sharon mentioned Kevin Harvick and Denny Hamlin with four wins each, Brad Keselowski and Joey Logano, Tim Penske with two each, another Penske driver, Ryan Blaney, Chase Elliott, Martin Truex, Alex Bowman, and now Austin Dillon and Cole Custer. Each have one win. With just eight races left in the regular season, each event will ratchet up the pressure on drivers to win, especially the six drivers clinging to their points in playoff contention. Heading into this weekend's this week's race at Kansas, Eric Almarola in the best position is 109 points up, Kurt Busch 108, defending series champion Kyle Busch in 95, all have sizable points lead over 17th place, William Byron. Almarola is the highest ranked driver in the standings without a victory. He's made 16 starts at 1.5 mile tracks, posting six top tens. Kurt Busch leads the series in most starts at Kansas without a win at 28, but has had some success putting up four top fives and 11 top tens. Of the three with sizable points cushions heading into Thursday night, Kyle Busch has had the most success at Kansas, picking up a victory in 2016 and seven top fives. In last season's May Kansas race, Kurt Busch finished seventh, Almirola twelfth, and Kyle Busch thirtieth. Now we get down to the Wood Brothers Racing's Matt Benedetto. He's next in the driver's standing and having an absolute career year, currently 14th in the playoff outlook with a 51-point cushion up on 17th place William Byron, that first spot outside the playoff cutoff. This season, Di Benedetto has collected two top fives and five top tens. He has made 10 starts at Kansas, posting an average finish of 25.6, which includes his career-best finish in last season's playoff race of 15th. Next up in the outlook is Stuart Haas Racing's Clint Boyer. He's currently 15th, just 36 points up on the postseason cut line. Now, this season, Boyer has amassed two top fives and five top tens, But the Emporia, Kansas native is hoping a trip to his home track can get him his first win of 2020 and locked into the playoffs. He's made 23 starts at Kansas, posting three top fives, and finished fifth in the May Kansas race last season. And just just like last week, Jimmy Johnson continues to teeter along in the NASCAR Cup Series playoff cutoff line, He's currently 16th in the driver's standings, a mere two points up on Hendrick Motorsport teammate William Byron in 17th, Again, that first spot outside the transfer spots. Johnson is riding a winless streak that has now reached 113 races, dating back to Dover in 2017. But all that could change this Thursday at Kansas, a track with which Johnson shares the series, leads, series lead for wins. Johnson has made 27 series starts at Kansas, posting three polls, three wins, nine top fives, and 19 top tens. His average finish at the track is a strong 10.3. The other one, uh, again, we talked about Tyler Reddick. Uh, The reason we're talking about William Byron in 17th is because right now I'm sorry, not uh, Tyler Reddick, Cole Custer is outside, which would push him in so that cutoff line has moved. If Dylan gets bumped out, that that spot will bump one more spot.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out this week at Kansas because, uh, as you mentioned, that playoff bubble uh, is a little fluid right now uh, with Cole Custer's victory He's in the playoffs and bumps one of the guys out. So pretty interesting stuff there. All right, it's midweek racing again with Kansas Speedway under the lights and for the Cup Series. Uh, This week's race is the 80th time that the NASCAR Cup Series has competed on a Thursday. Leading up to this season in the modern era from 1972 to the present, racing on a Thursday has been rare. It's only happened a few times when Daytona International Speedway held their July race on the 4th um, in 1974 and 1985. But prior to the modern era, midweek racing was quite common. 76 of the previous 79 Cup Series races held on Thursday were prior to the modern era, um, 1949 to 1971. Modern era is considered to have started in 1972. Below are a list of 15 NASCAR Cup Series races held on a Thursday and uh, who the race winner is. Uh, Let's start with number 15. In 1969, on September 8th, Bobby Isaac, uh, One at Columbia. Uh, that was in 1969. In 1970, there were a couple of people who were winning on a Thursday. Uh, it must have been a doubleheader because both are held on February the 19th at Daytona. Uh, the first winner was Charlie Glotzbach, and the second winner was Cale Yarborough. Uh, again on Thursdays, May 20. May, I'm sorry, April 30th. Uh, Richard Petty won at Columbia. And uh, Bobby Isaac won on May 28th at Maryville. Also in 1970, on uh, July 9th, you had Bobby Isaac winning. And on August 6th at Columbia, you had Bobby Isaac winning. That race in July was actually won at Thompson. Going to 1971, there are several drivers here with wins that year. Thursday, February the 11th, two drivers winning at Daytona included David Pearson and Pete Hamilton. On uh, April the 8th, you had uh, Richard Petty winning at Columbia, and on April 15th, he also won at Maryville. Also in 1971, on July 15th, at Islip, Richard Petty was the winner. Uh, So a lot of wins there for Richard Petty on Thursday nights. Uh, Moving along, in 1974, on July 4th, David Pearson won at Daytona. And on July 4th of 1985, it was Greg Sachs winning at Daytona on a Thursday night. And the last driver on our list is on Thursday, May the 28th of this year, uh, Chase Elliott won at Charlotte Motor Speedway. So uh, some interesting stats there with drivers winning at um, uh, tracks on Thursday nights. Kansas Speedway is hosting the Cup Series has hosted the Cup Series 28 times, but this will be the first time they're hosting on a Thursday night. The 28 previous Cup events have produced 16 different pole winners and 15 different race winners. Stewart-Haas Racing's Kevin Harvick leads the series in polls at Kansas with five from the fall of 2013. The 2014 sweep. Uh, the spring of 2018 and the spring of 2019. The NASCAR Hall of Famer Jeff Gordon, uh, did it in 2001, 2002, and 2014. Kevin Harvick held polls in 2013, 16, and 18. Jimmy Johnson in 2008, 11, and 15. And all are tied for the series' most wins at Kansas with three apiece. NASCAR Hall of Famer Jeff Gordon won the first Cup Series race at Kansas Speedway, September 30th of 2001. And actually, Gordon won the first two Series races at Kansas. He won also in 2002. Uh, he won a second time in 2001 and again in 2002. The Series Most Popular driver, Chase Elliott, holds the record for the youngest Kansas winner. He was 22 years, 10 months, and 23 days on October 1st of two thousand. 18. nascar hall of famer mark martin is the oldest series winner at 46 years nine months and zero days in this week's event 10 of the 15 former nascar cup series race winners are entered including last year's winner brad Keselowski, who won in may uh, the latest winner i should say denny hamlin won in the playoffs And the May race last year was dominated by Kevin Harvick, who led 104 laps. But it was Brad Keselowski who passed Alex Bowman with 11 laps to go to take take the checkered flag and his second career win at the 1.5-mile track. Of the 10 former Cup Series winners entered on Thursday, four of them are still looking for their very first win this year. That includes Jimmy Johnson, Matt Kenseth, Kyle Busch, and Ryan Newman. Of the four, Kyle Busch is the most recent winner at Kansas. He grabbed his only victory there uh, in 2016. So uh, that's going to be interesting. Jimmy Johnson, as we mentioned, leads uh, with Kevin Harvick at three wins each. Brad Keselowski, Denny Hamlin, Joey Logano, Martin Truex Jr., and Matt Kenseth all have two wins at Kansas. Chase Elliott, Kyle Busch, and Ryan Newman, each have one, so there we have our Cup Series preview. Uh, do you have the? Uh, we can move on to the um, uh, to the starting lineup for the Cup Series.
1: All right. Again, with the redraw, the way it is with the in groups, we'll start with the top section. Your pole sitter going to be Kevin Harvick. Outside of him, Joey Logano, a pair of Fords on the front row. The second row, there will be another Stuart Haas racing, the number 10 of Eric Elmerola, and the fourth Ford in a row, the 12 of Team Penske's Ryan Blaney. Third row, that will be the 19 of Martin Truex Jr. That's my pick. And the 88 of Alex <laughs> Bowman, which is Sam's pick. Shame on you. You uh, took my
0: pick. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah. yeah. Well, that's I let you know in advance, didn't I?
0: You did. You did. The
1: fourth row, Uh, Brad Keselowski and Kyle Bush row number five Kurt Bush and Denny Hamlin
0: All right next up on row six is the number nine of Chase Elliott and the number 21 of Matt DiBenedetto Uh, row seven has the number 17 of Chris Buescher, the number 42 of Matt Kenseth in row eight we have uh, the 24 William Byron and the number three last week's winner Austin Dillon Row 9 is the number 43 of Bubba Wallace and the number 6 of Ryan Newman. And in row 10, we have the number 14 for Clint Boyer and the number 48 of Jimmy Johnson.
1: All right, row number 11, the number 20 of Eric Jones and the 95 of Christopher Bell. That's going to come up in Hot Topics. Uh, Row number 12, (laughs) pair rookies starting side by side, Tyler Reddick in the number 8 and the number 41 of Cole Custer. Row 13, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., and the 77 of Garrett Smithley. Row number 14, Michael McDowell in the 34, and J.J. Yaley this week in the number 27. Row 15 will be another rookie row. The number 15 will be Brennan Poole, and the number 38 will be John Hunter Nemechek.
0: Okay, row number 16, you have uh, the number 32 of Corey Joy, the number zero, 0 of rookie Quinn Huff. In row 17, you have the number 53 of Josh Belicki and the number 51 of Joey Gase. Row 18 is Ryan Priest in the number 38 and Ty Dillon in the number 13. Row 19 is the number 96 of Daniel Suarez and the number 66 of Timmy Hill. Row 20 is none other than Reed Sorensen in the number seven and B.J. McLeod in the number 78. There are Teen Chevrolets, 15 Fords, and only seven Toyotas entered in this race.
1: Well, a little bit of a disadvantage, but they certainly have held their own. I know they haven't been as strong this year, but hopefully Martin Truex will change that for them.
0: Okay. Now, Jay, we've got a couple minutes here. Not enough time for us to do uh, pre-race audio, but I think you can give us uh, our picks and points for the Cup Series and then our overall points for, this, for the group.
1: All right. I know we've mentioned a couple of them. Uh, James, unfortunately, had to start first, so went with the low-hanging fruit, took Kevin Harvick. Uh, Andy took Eric Almarola, which was actually my pick for the week, so... Again, what goes around comes around, I guess. Uh, Mike (laughs) took uh, his favorite or one of his favorites there with Chase Elliott. Owen came in with Brad Keselowski. And then, as I mentioned, Sam took Alex Bowman. I went with Martin Truex, which left Sharon, who took Joey Logano. For the Cup Series points, this one's been the tightest uh, throughout the season, I think. Uh, I got a little bit of a gap. I got 85 points. Andy has 73. Sam is third now in uh, with 64. Sharon and Owen are tied at 61. James is at 49, and Mike at 46. And the overall, we're all over, oh, no, Mike's still only at 95. Hold on. Uh, Andy leads overall, as you heard me mention, he's got two of the series leads and second in the other one. So as a total of 172, I'm back about 20 points at 153. And then it really tightens up. Sam's at 129. Again, Owen and Sharon tied at 128. James is at 106. Mike just short of the 100-point mark at 95, but actually started late in all three series. So uh, certainly coming along.
0: Okay. I've got a call coming in. (laughs) I'm trying to take care of that. Okay, um, so we are uh, now at the top of the hour, Jay, which means that it is now time for our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off, and uh, joining us for Hot Topic Sound Off is uh, none other than Mike Orzel. Hello! Yeah. All right, uh, let's go ahead and uh, start off our Hot Topics. Uh, Mike, we'll let you kick us off today. Yeah,
5: this story actually broke on Monday, but we didn't have time to talk to it with everything else that we had going on on Monday. Um, On Monday, it was announced that Acura and team Penske had mutually agreed to end their IMSA partnership uh, after the 2020 season. Um, Team Penske has been running Acura as an IMSA for several years now and has had a lot of success with them. Um, And there wasn't any further announcement about future plans. But if you remember back a few months ago, uh, Acura's parent company, Honda, had said that if they were going to get into NASCAR racing, it would require them to pull out from the majority of other motorsports that they participate in. We know NASCAR has talked about wanting to bring in more manufacturers with the Gen 7 car for the 2022 season now. So I'm wondering if this may be the first move for Honda to potentially race either the Honda or Acura brand in NASCAR with that Gen 7 car.
1: All right, Jay. Well, that topic come up before. I know it's been uh, several years and NASCAR is really looking for more manufacturer support um, when it comes to NASCAR's top level. So it would be interesting. Uh, I know this doesn't uh, necessarily secure that, but it does kind of like Mike alluded to, point the finger in that direction. And I know that Team Penske has had a long relationship with them. It'd be curious to see, obviously, if Honda or Acura are going to come in. They would want a top-tier team. And we've seen this in the past with Penske, actually. They were the Dodge team. When Dodge left, they went to Ford Mm -hmm. and were the top Ford team. Stuart Haas came over and has kind of taken over a little bit. I know that Joey Logano is a champion um, here in recent years, but... Overall, kind of looked like Stuart Haas racing was kind of the top Ford organization, so that maybe Team Penske would look at doing this and going to Honda and being their top organization, possibly the only organization as they come in, like Joe Gibbs Racing did with Toyota. So very intriguing. We'll have to see how this develops uh, over the next year plus or what other announcements come out, but certainly does put that uh, trickle of that start of that beginning uh, in play anyway as we ponder that.
0: Okay, yeah, I would agree. Uh, Again, there's no official announcements. They were purely speculating and kind of reading between the lines based on the news that was announced, uh, as Mike referenced. Uh, It certainly, we know that NASCAR is looking at other uh, manufacturers to come into the sport. Honda seems to be uh, one of the teams, uh, one of the manufacturers that are at the top of that list. And uh, it would not surprise me if Honda or Acura come into NASCAR uh, in the – if not in the 2021 season, uh, then certainly by that 2022 season. Um, uh, so they they certainly have left the door wide open for speculation, I will say that. Uh, and Team Penske seems to be uh, a logical choice to bring that organization into NASCAR. So uh, as uh, Jay referenced, uh, uh, they have been with other manufacturers in the past. They switched from Dodge uh, when Dodge left the sport uh, to pick up Ford. Uh, And with the competition of the Fords within NASCAR right now, um, especially in that uh, Cup Series, uh, it, it would make sense that Team Penske would be that organization. So, uh, uh, for for a couple of different reasons that I've given there. So, I would not be surprised, Mike. What are your thoughts?
5: Yeah, I think if anyone were to, were to make a short list of prospective new manufacturers that would come into the sport, uh, Honda or the Acura brand, depending on whichever the company decides to run, would probably be at the very top of that short list. Um, Honda has a natural competitor in Toyota already in NASCAR. They're basically the Chevy versus Ford of the uh, Japanese-based import brands. So having that natural competitor in there kind of gives that built-in fan base and that built-in rivalry um, that already exists between Chevy and Ford within NASCAR. Um, It's also obviously a much wider market since their target market are the kind of people who are buying Toyota Camrys well, maybe they're going to put that Honda Accord or Acura TL brand in front of them and showcase that a little bit more and highlight that and maybe help their sales a little bit more. Uh, I think they're probably in a little bit better position than Nissan, the other Japanese manufacturer that's prevalent in the U.S. Uh, Nissan's had some financial issues and I haven't really seen anything for them coming into the uh, into motorsports the way uh, that Honda slash Acura has been. Um, so yeah. Uh, again like you said all speculation but if we're trying to draw lines between dots it really looks like uh, Acura may be joining NASCAR in 2021 if we were going to guess that another manufacturer were coming in
0: do you think they can uh, do it that soon jay yeah two years out i
1: think so if it, you know being that this is happening now already in 2020 um yeah it, it could be tight um what would surprise me is as we saw it when toyota did it and that's what i i think the the business model in all all of them have looked at now is they did it through the truck series and then the xfinity then the cup that you know and even when they did first come to cup there's a little bit uh bit off maybe a little bit more than they could chew i want to say um so it would be a little surprising to see them not go into the trucks, but they don't have a necessarily a truck brand. So the the six months to, to, to prepare. And again, maybe they've been preparing and planning this all along. We don't know that. So, or whether or not it's even true, um, that maybe they are more equipped. The one thing I will say is I do, as, as I've always hoped, unfortunately my hope is on the side of Dodge, which I know is getting thinner and thinner, but to see Dodge come back a, a, again, um with them if they were to say go to team penske you have the wood brothers alliance right now i don't know if i see the wood brothers leaving forward but then them also utilizing an alliance team and seeing more teams become a little bit higher up the chain as far as rather than being underfunded so i view it as a good thing for the sport if another manufacturer comes in even if it's only one power organization I think that will then spread, though, to some of the lower teams that will form an alliance with that powerhouse.
0: Yeah, you bring up some good points there. Uh, uh, You're right. They may have been preparing for this for a lot longer than what we realize. Uh, But with the announcement, uh, it seems like it would be a little hard for them to do it uh, by 2021. Uh, otherwise if they've been Planning for it great I hope to see Them in 2021 otherwise I I, I would have to put it Back to to uh, another Year before they would be able to really Manage that change uh, for all The reasons that you bring up in, in the Toyota transition into NASCAR uh, It would be great To see Team Penske Field a uh, truck series Team uh, I think that Would be fantastic but uh you know they they have those are some of the things that they'll have to take into consideration uh when they look at their entry into the sport and how they want to make that happen so mike what are your thoughts
5: yeah the uh The 2021 season, I agree, is is definitely going to be a a stretch, especially since NASCAR said that they're going to delay the Gen 7 car until the 2022 season now. Um, And I Mm -hmm. think that Gen 7 car, with what they're trying to work on as far as cost reduction and making it a little bit more universal, that may – Uh, lower that learning curve a little bit so it makes it a little bit more attainable for a new manufacturer to enter the sport without the massive R&D and integration issues that Toyota had when they entered the sport a decade ago.
0: Okay. Okay, Jay, what's your hot topic for today?
1: Well, there was one, and uh, I want to pull this up here, a tweet from Adam Stern, and I believe it was an hour ago. Let's see if I can pull that up. Uh, Mentioning that Levine Family Racing... Where are my screenshots? All right, here we go. Again, this is from Adam Stern. I consider a a relatively reliable source within the NASCAR community. Uh, LFR95, which is Levine Family Racing and owner Bob Levine, has solicited prospective bids for the team in recent months sources and as he evaluates his future in the sport amid the financial fallout of the coronavirus pandemic and Mm -hmm. that leads to the question of whoever buys that team if it is for sale indeed and and what happens with it that's currently where driver Christopher Bell is and we've already had that discussion of if Bell truly is going to slide into a Joe Gibbs racing team that would leave Eric Jones in
5: question.
0: Interesting stuff, Uh, Mike. What are your thoughts?
5: Yeah, Bob Levine is one of the good guys in the sport. Um, You know, it's no secret I'm a Matt DiBenedetto fan, so I was a little sour with what happened to him, but I also understand that was somewhat out of Bob's hands. But with regard to uh, to Bob's interaction with the sport, he's one of the few team owners that I've seen, if any other team owner, that directly interacts with fans on social media, and he does it regularly. He has written books about not just NASCAR, but the NASCAR team owning process um, with regard to how sponsors can get return on their investment, how a NASCAR team functions as a business, things like that. Uh, So Bob has offered a lot of great insight into the sport as well, and it'd be a real shame to see him leave. But I also understand finances are what they are. And uh, Bob is not a young man either, and The grind of the sport, especially this year after the pickup, uh, the after resumption of racing, where we're looking at not a single stretch of more than maybe three or four days back at home before most of the team is back on the road again. That becomes a real grind. And if someone his age, you can't underestimate the toll that can take on someone's physical health as well. So it may be that uh, that Bob has decided that, you know, he wants to take his life in a different direction. Um, and if that's the decision he's made, then by all means, that's, that's his right to make that decision. It would be a shame if they don't end up finding a buyer for the team and that team ends up folding. That'd be another that, – that team isn't necessarily a championship-contending team, but it's definitely a team with a positive trajectory right now. And it would be a real shame to see us lose that team um, and – you know, the associated potential success that a driver could have at that developing organization.
0: Yep. In theory, it sounded like a good idea for uh, Christopher Bell to go to LFR uh, coming into the season. It was a JGR affiliate and uh, a lot of JGR backing, similar to what happened at uh, Front Row, uh, Furniture Row uh, Racing, when they had uh, Martin Truex Jr., uh, who is now racing for Joe Gibbs Racing. Um, but who would have predicted that this season would be the kind of season that we've had and the strain uh, that it's putting on a lot of these lower-funded teams and uh, ultimately the drivers that are racing in those teams. Um, uh, it's a tough situation. It really is. And and uh, I hate to see it happen. Uh, it'll be interesting because they're talking about uh, the asking price in the mid to high seven figures. Uh, that's kind of, that's going to be money that's going to be hard to come by uh, in this kind of environment, uh, economic environment. Um, I'm not saying that there aren't potential buyers, but uh, those potential buyers are going to be a lot slimmer uh, if we were not in the midst of, of an economic crisis. Uh, Uh, Situation here with the coronavirus pandemic Um, So I I just had a bad feeling uh, The longer this pandemic goes uh, The more we're going to see this type of thing um, Not just in racing but across our country Uh, This economy is taking a huge hit With the coronavirus pandemic um, And it's hurting a lot of families and, and everything So uh, not surprising uh, to see this happening with uh, Levine Family Racing. They're the first kind of out of the box with that. Um, It's a sad situation. It it really is. Uh, And uh, I've got to think that a driver like Christopher Bell is going to land on his feet somewhere. Uh, But, again, uh, the picking is going to be kind of slim uh, the further this goes along. So going to be an interesting storyline to watch nonetheless. So Mike
1: um, or Jay, you brought this up. What are your thoughts? Well, Sharon, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to get you like a little plaque or an award or two of them actually. One is you're able to shut shut the big mouth of the mid south up because you had the exact same same thing to say that I did. So I've got <laughs> nothing uh, really to say. But then the other one would be maybe a negative one. That's uh, thinking the same lines as me. <laughs> so take that one for what oh. it's worth. Um, <laughs> oh. No you re- you referenced and this this might take a little bit different turn in the conversation but you ren- mentioned furniture row which was a an associate or uh, alliance team with Joe Gibbs Racing that two years removed from a championship shut down and and had to fold <laughs> you know as Mike mentioned right now Levine Family Racing has been on the building up starting at, you know even before Matt DiBenedetto but I think he really took them to another level They started that partnership through Toyota with JGR. Obviously, Toyota wanted Christopher Bell up. They put him in there, uh, as Mike mentioned, that business decision, and really thought that was going to take them to that next level. And we've seen some very good promise out of that so far. But my concern now becomes, though, is that would be two under Toyota that have linked to Joe Gibbs Racing as an alliance that – And I know it got mentioned with kind of with Furniture Row that maybe the cost of that with Joe Gibbs Racing and Toyota is just too much. So that is something that I have a concern about because we've seen other, the Penske Alliance with the Wood Brothers, different ones with RCR. Uh, I can't think of the team name, the number 13 Geico Machine. I can't think of the team there, if one of you two could help me out. Jermaine Racing. Mm -hmm. We
3: don't
1: see those and uh, Richard Petty Motorsports as well with RCR. We don't see those teams end up folding like we have the ones that team with Joe Gibbs Racing under Toyota. So that that brings me to a little bit of a concern there.
0: That's a good point. Uh, Mike, what are your thoughts?
5: Yeah, um, as resources become scarce, it, it's difficult to not rob Peter to pay Paul in this uh in this environment, I, we first saw it a couple decades ago, where sponsors started to consolidate. So instead of it being one sponsor per car, now we got one car that gets two sponsors and another car that gets zero sponsors. And now it's starting the same thing starting to happen with driver talent, and it may be workshop resources as well that are starting to com, uh, to to concentrate around those those mega mega centers of gravity, uh, the big teams with the big success they suck in all the resources and unfortunately it leaves other teams out in the dark without the resources that may even be necessary to keep going, let alone be competitive on the racetrack. Um, we talk about with the future of Christopher Bell. Unfortunately, the way, the way it is right now, that's going to cost another top-level driver a ride or it's going to cost Christopher Bell a ride if the 95 doesn't find a buyer to keep that car on the racetrack. Um, it's doubtful that Christopher Bell, a driver like Christopher Bell is going to go to a team um, that's towards the back of the field. He's probably not going to replace Quinn Huff in the 11 for the same discussion we had the other day of drivers with a certain talent level have a certain expectation of competitiveness. So, He might end up having to displace a driver either within the Gibbs organization um, or outside of the Gibbs organization at another higher level team. We might see a fairly big name driver get displaced because Christopher Bell needs to land somewhere with the amount of talent that he brings to the sport.
0: Yeah, that that's a good point as well. I want to kind of go back to the manufacturer, though. It wasn't that long ago that Toyota came into a NASCAR, and uh, they came in with a pretty big splash. Uh, it just makes you wonder if there isn't something that systemic. Uh, I know they have an, an amazing uh, Toyota racing development program, but I think we are even seeing that take a little bit of a hit with some drivers kind of jumping ship. To go to other manufacturers because uh, they, the, their window of opportunity within uh, Toyota is very very limited at this point. So uh, I'm wondering, you know, if it, what's in store for Toyota as a manufacturer for a future within the sport as well. Um, so something for us to definitely keep our eye on. Uh, it, it's a developing storyline. And uh, you got to hope for the best, but in this economic environment, uh, I've got to be realistic as well. I, I think this could be the first of uh, many situations that we see similar to this. Okay. Uh, uh, Jay, did you have any final comments on that? No
1: lead it down another direction again you look at possibly eric jones or christopher bell uh, mentioning about where they might mm-hmm. go i know chip ganassi racing may need somebody to fill the 42 we still haven't heard uh who's filling the 48 at hendrick motorsport so in the long run it might benefit chevrolet
0: yeah yeah i see i hear what you're saying Uh, Chevrolet needs a little bit of a plus there. Um, Let's go ahead and move on to another new topic, though. I think we've uh, been around the horn twice on that topic. Uh, I want to talk about Iowa Speedway, uh, kind of a similar situation. Uh, There were rumors once they announced uh, that the only race that would take place there was the ARCA race that took place this past weekend. A lot of rumors started swelling that uh, Iowa Speedway could be sold. We saw that the rumor that uh, swelled around Chicagoland Speedway turned out to to not come through. Well, now we're hearing that uh, Roger Penske has said that he's kind of entered a little bit of an agreement with um, uh, Iowa Speedway where he would rent the facility in order to keep it going so i want to get your guys thoughts about that uh... as uh... we think about the future of iowa speedway jay we will start with you on this one
1: uh... that is news to me i had not seen that i think that is great news i think that uh, that penske is one that that can certainly uh... help that track stay afloat at least in the short term um, as far as at least staying a viable option versus Once it gets shut down for a year or two, we've seen one or two tracks that have been able to come back, but most don't. So at least keeping it open in the short term, it gives hope and promise for the future. And I do think that Penske is one that could help sustain that. So I view that as some great news. Again, we don't know what exactly is true and going on with Iowa Speedway. Um, We'll have to wait and see how that develops. But I do like that as far as, again, a comfort of at least seeing it stay open in the short term,
5: which builds for better hope for the future.
0: Okay, Uh, Mike.
5: Yeah, obviously renting is not as big of a commitment as buying, but having a name like Roger Penske associated with it gives a lot of hope to the future of the Speedway, at least in the short term. Uh, If you look at what happened with Indianapolis Motor Speedway in just the year that Roger Penske has owned it, it went from an already very nice facility to an absolutely gorgeous facility uh, because, if absolutely nothing else, Roger Penske cares very deeply about the facilities and organizations that he gets involved in. And if he's willing to put his name on there, even in a rental agreement, I'm sure he's going to take good care of Iowa Speedway at least until a more longer-term solution can be found.
0: Okay. At this point, the track is owned by ISC, um, and uh, Roger Pinsky, I guess uh, this conversation came up after the IndyCar doubleheader, the rumor surfaced uh, about the possibility of Roger Pinsky purchasing uh, the oval, and Pinsky responded by saying, uh, if he was interested in buying it, he said uh, um, that they contracted this year uh where they were the promoter and all we did was make a deal to rent the track we'd like to continue to rent it in future years to keep it going so um i I think that he wants to see that facility continue to uh uh exist within the nascar uh community and uh uh I, I really applaud him for doing that uh, you're right mike he, he really cares deeply about the sport he cares deeply about racing in general and uh i applaud him for for uh putting together that agreement uh my understanding uh based on other rumors or based on what happened earlier when they announced that that uh that track may be in uh the uh, uh selling block um, they said that they pretty much let go a lot of the uh, uh, positions, a lot of the staff, most of the staff at the Speedway, uh, and that David Hyatt, the uh, track uh, president, uh, and a small number of staff, staff stayed on board just to operate the races that took place this year. So uh, it sounds like they're on a shoestring Um uh, it would be great if Roger Penske does decide that he's going to purchase that track at some point in the future, uh, but I understand why he would rent it given the current economic environment. So um, let's hope that we can kind of pull out of all of this uh, and get into a better picture, uh, if you will, uh, to where Roger Pinsky could see a way to maybe purchase that track in the future because that would really be great uh again, I just applaud him uh, for doing what he's doing to keep that track afloat.
5: Now, does the uh, I haven't read the article either. Does the article say that he's renting it for a yearly basis? Because, remember, Penske does also own the NTT IndyCar series. So did he clarify right. he wasn't just speaking about renting it for the one IndyCar event that they recently held there?
0: His quote was this, we did contract this year where we were the promoter, And all we did was make the deal to rent the track, and we'd like to continue to rent it in future years. So that's about as, that's the most information we have from the conversation. So
2: um,
0: it looks like he wants to do it for future years to keep it going. So we just got to hope that that does happen. Uh, Jay, did you have any further comments?
1: No, we'll have to see how this develops, and you know, Mike brought up a point there that, that it's interesting whether or not it's for one race, one series, or for the entire year. Um, we'd have to wait until we get more details on that.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Mike, any other comments on your end?
5: No, um, I, I went from uh, somewhat disappointed pessimism after our discussion on Monday to some guarded optimism regarding the future of Iowa Speedway. So hopefully we can keep going. It definitely helps that there's two independent disciplines of racing, namely NASCAR and IndyCar, who are invested in Iowa Speedway. So hopefully those two mm-hmm. competing, not even competing interests, but combined interests can help support that Speedway and keep it afloat.
0: Yes, I. Uh, that would make me very happy. Now, we are coming up to our two-hour mark of our show here today, and that means that we will go off the air. Uh, it, this is a podcast, so most of our listeners are going to be listening via the podcast, and this will be pretty seamless, but we like to mention it in case anybody is tuning in for the live broadcast, we will go off the air right at 1:30 p.m. Eastern Time. but we will continue our conversation beyond that point as part of our bonus overtime material on the podcast. So uh, there won't be any surprises when that happens. We like to mention it at this stage of the uh, show. And uh, I will go out on uh, Twitter and Facebook in this case and let people know that the podcast is available. Uh, So when that happens, if you've listened up to this point, all you have to do is fast forward to the two-hour mark to hear the rest of that conversation. So with that, uh, we'll go back to uh, Mike uh, to hear what your next topic is.
5: Yeah, kind of a surprising interview that took place a couple days ago with uh, Clint Boyer, and he expressed that he would prefer to continue driving into the 2021 season. And I know a lot of people, myself included, have pretty much made it a foregone conclusion that this was going to end up being Clint Boyer's final full-time season in the Cup Series, and he was going to move into the Fox Sports booth. It seemed like everything was pointing in that direction with regard to the amount of studio time that he was putting in with Fox, being the in-race reporter during the iRacing uh, series and all all that, it really pointed towards a seamless transition from Clint out of the race car into the booth for the 2021 season. But it sounds like now that that may not be the course of action that Clint really wants to take, which I found somewhat surprising. I thought that that was uh, kind of a natural progression for him. Jay, Well, I think it was a
0: year or
1: two back that, uh, the same storyline was written for Kevin Harvick when he started doing his own podcast on Tuesdays and doing some more TV stuff. And, uh, we see where he's at. The other part to that, though, was that, that caught me more off guard is that Clint said he really hadn't even talked with Stuart Haas racing. Now, I don't know whether or not that's uh, intentional or just something they've put on hold, but that concerns me a little bit more than anything, that maybe he realizes that if he does want to continue, it won't be at Stuart Haas racing, and that's why he made the statement he did of, I want to keep racing, that, again, maybe putting that feeler out there to other teams if he hasn't had any conversations With Stuart Haas Racing
0: Yeah That that part kind of surprised Me too because if this is a Contract year why wouldn't You already have that conversation um, So That that was what stood out For me is the fact that he had not yet Talked to Stuart Haas Racing uh, So it sounds to me Like he is putting feelers out there That he's interested in, in Continuing beyond this year uh, and looking for a team that might pick him up. We all know Chase Briscoe is in the rings. Uh, he has eight of his uh, projected eight wins already in the Xfinity Series for this season. Uh, and, you know, we're, we're all assuming that he's going to move up into Stuart Haas Racing, perhaps in that number 14 uh, car for uh, Stuart Haas Racing. I, I think part of what might precipitate that. And the reason why he might be putting some of those feelers out there is that Eric Almirola, uh, one of the other drivers that, uh, you know, might have been looked at as uh, somebody who might be looking for a new ride uh, next year, uh, is really turned on the heat and is doing a lot better in that number 10 car, for uh, SHR. So uh, that leaves Clamp Boyer as kind of the odd man out Uh, within the organization, uh, allowing uh, Cole Custer with his win to uh, now maybe get another second year at Stuart Haas Racing, Uh, thinking about what happened at RCR when Daniel Hamrick only had the one year uh, to kind of prove his worth within that organization. So uh, it does appear to me, that Clint Boyer's uh, looking for another ride with uh, Chase Briscoe kind of in the wings for that 14 for next year. Uh, but that leaves a very young team at uh, uh, two of the four cars being very young at Stewart House Racing for next year, uh, Kevin Hardwick being the veteran, and with uh, Clint Boyer being gone. Uh, Eric Almirola being the other guy that's in that veteran seat with two rookies. Um, a nice mix for the organization to kind of develop their future there. Uh, but uh, I'm curious to know what your thoughts are, Mike.
5: Well, don't forget another name that's been circulated pretty heavily as a potential Stuart Haas racing pickup is Kyle Larson. His success mm-hmm. in the dirt racing since uh, since he was released from the 42 cars, it's impossible to ignore. He's won something in the line of 75% of the dirt, uh, dirt races that he's entered ever since they started racing again. And we're talking about the basically the Cup Series equivalent of dirt racing. So it's not like he's going down there and punching down and taking kids' lunch money. Kyle Larson is a talent that is very, very difficult to ignore. And if there's an opening at Stuart Haas Racing or elsewhere, Team owners are going to have to take a look at Kyle Larson. Obviously, he's got the PR related issues that are going to have to be overcome. But if there's any team, especially an individual car owner, who probably cares a lot less about PR than he does about on track performance, it's Tony Stewart. So any conversation about the opening in the 14 car probably needs to also include Kyle Larson. With regard to Eric Armorola, even before he got hot on the racetrack, I considered his seat to be somewhat safe just because of the Smithfield sponsorship. Um, If Smithfield could be convinced to support a different driver, which I don't know if that would be possible or not, uh, Eric has been an outstanding ambassador for the brand, but if Smithfield could have been convinced to support a different driver, then I could see Eric Almirola's seat being in jeopardy. But until then, I think the sponsorship at that team is too difficult to ignore. Smithfield is one of the few almost full season sponsors that are left in the sport. And to to just walk away from that by, uh, by releasing Eric Almirola maybe a bridge too far for a team like Stuart Haas that already has some sponsorship struggles.
0: A good point. Jay?
1: Uh, first off, I don't see the Almirola-Smithfield brand splitting. Uh, they've been with him uh, as a driver-sponsor connection for a long time. And we've seen, even when he changes team, of what he brings to an organization as a driver. I think right now he's at six or seven races, finishing in the top ten, come co- come close to winning a couple. I actually thought he uh, might get one again. Um, so that's one that I don't see him splitting that team up, um, truthfully. Uh, as far as the, the, the names that you mentioned, Kyle Larson, again, we don't know whether he wants to return to NASCAR. I know Stewart, Tony Stewart has said that, He would like to have them, but there was no concrete discussions or indication that that was progressing that way. Might have just been an offhand statement of he'd like to. Um, So we'll have to see. Uh, And I'd kind of forgotten about that when we talk about only one spot being open at Stuart Haas, that that Kyle Larson is another option. Um, Again, the sponsorship money there, and like Mike mentioned, of the PR issue uh, could make that one really tough, but He's got a point. Tony Stewart's one that would do it just despite it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that is true. Uh, The biggest hurdle, though, as we know, is going to be the sponsorship uh, for Larson coming back into the sport. Uh, And that is a huge hurdle for him to overcome. If he can get the sponsorship... I can certainly see Tony Stewart bringing him into Stewart Haas Racing uh, to give him that second chance. And I think we've all agreed uh, people do deserve a second chance. but I, I I really think that's going to be the biggest stumbling block for, for Larson is the sponsorship. And it's going to be the biggest uh, hurdle for, for Stewart Haas Racing. As much as he wants to bring him back, uh, if they can't get that sponsorship, it's going to be outside of his hands. So uh, that is is going to be the big determining factor, I think, for, for Kyle Larson. Uh, if Larson comes in, Uh, Then I think we see Chase Briscoe another year in the Xfinity Series which would be a shame Unless they can develop something Within an affiliate organization At Stuart Haas Racing But um, uh, I I really would like to see uh, For all the things that are happening At Levine Family Racing I would like To see Briscoe get that opportunity At Stuart Haas Racing um, Over an affiliate Team so that's Just my thoughts there um, have we been around twice on this subject? I don't think so.
3: Uh,
5: Do I...
0: yeah, Did we go around this. twice? Oh, okay. Then then we're ready to move on to the next topic. <laughs> uh, Jay?
1: Well, I got another breaking news one. Uh, what I saw was from an hour ago, but Bob Pockers just confirmed it. Uh, Travis Pastrana is going to be in the number 40 Nice Motorsports truck on Saturday. It just says for Saturday in place of Ross Chastain. doesn't give a reason why, but it is confirmed by Bob Pockers that Travis Pastrana going to be in the number 40 truck in place of Ross Chastain on Saturday's truck race.
0: That's interesting because... I just got, this was for the truck race. Let me look and see which race this is for. This is the actually, yeah, this is for the truck race. I just got a um, press release for the Kansas 200 Race Advance for Ross Chastain. So did you say that's for the second race?
1: Uh, Because it it said it was for Saturday's race.
0: Okay, that is the second race. Okay, this is actually a uh, press release for Friday. It does not mention Saturday in here, if that's any indication. Um, It just mentions him for that Friday race. So that's interesting, part of that conversation. So, uh, Mike, your thoughts?
5: Yeah, it's it's odd to see Travis Pastrana come back pretty much out of nowhere. He's been out of NASCAR since 2011, 2012, something like that. More or less when the Red Bull organization folded, he left along with that Red Bull sponsorship. Um, so seeing Travis Pastrana back is kind of odd. I wonder if they're just – was a limited number of drivers with a, a NASCAR license available that weekend, or, or what led to him being the guy who got the call to fill in? Um, obviously, there's a the question of why is he filling in for Ross Chastain? Who knows? I, 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 unless I missed it, I haven't seen anything that would indicate Chastain has something going on um, that's preventing him from racing, so who knows? Um, it'll be good to see Travis Pastrana back. It'll be interesting to see what happens on the racetrack. To be honest, I wouldn't expect great things from a driver who who left the sport almost 10 years ago and really hasn't touched a race car since. Um, I'm sure he'll do a serviceable job for Nice Motorsports. Um, but uh, it's, uh, it's just interesting to see a name like that pop back up out of everybody who could potentially jump in.
0: Yeah, I think the reason they're taking Chastain out of the truck for Saturday is that he's also racing that Xfinity Series race, and it might be a little bit too much for him to run both races uh, and the doubleheader. That would be three races in two days. Uh, So that's why they're bringing in another driver, uh, Travis Pest, and and Bob Pachris is actually saying he is confirmed. As the driver for the Nice Motorsports the number 40 truck on Saturday, um, the only thing I can think of, <laughs> the only thing I can think of is that. He- He's raced before, but it seems like there would be other choices besides Travis Pastrana to put into that truck, and especially considering uh, new drivers that could be coming into NASCAR and giving them an opportunity in that truck uh, for Nice Motorsports. So it's an interesting choice. I I will agree with that. Uh, It'll be nice to see him back, I guess, in that truck, but... Uh, just kind of a head scratcher as to why they'd bring Travis Pastrana in. The only thing I can think is availability, uh, making the difference there. Uh, Jay, your thoughts.
1: Well, the the whole thinking about why, uh, who and why makes my head hurt. So I'm not going to go with that. I'm going to go with the optimism though. (laughs) I like Travis Pastrana when he was there with Roush Fenway racing, um, he is one of those drivers I think never got the true chance to, to develop. And he needed a little more time coming in from the motorbike and X games, uh, style of racing. I know he's, he's done some, uh, rally racing, um, and still been involved in motorsports, but I, I felt like he was one that never really got the chance to develop and grow. So I'm excited to see him back, uh, I think he is a polarizing personality that I think NASCAR uh could use and could back then and you know when he was there certainly provided that if it's sponsorship money or availability or all that. They yeah, I'm not that deep involved it makes my head hurt so I'll just go
5: with I uh, hope he does good.
0: <laughs> okay. Uh Mike.
5: Yeah, um like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic about Travis Pastrana, but just because he's been out of the car for a while, we saw old man Greg Biffle get off the couch last year and go win a race. So it's it's not like these guys can sit out forever and, and automatically you assume they're not competitive. Matt Kenseth has done fairly well in the 42 car after just getting basically pulled in off the couch this season as well. Um, it'll be interesting to see what he does. I agree with Jay that Travis Pastrana didn't necessarily get a fair shake, but welcome to the business that is NASCAR sometimes, unfortunately. Um, so I look forward to seeing him out on the track on Saturday, and especially in some decent equipment and see what he can do.
0: Okay. I don't have too much more to add to that, um, but it's good that we're bringing up the breaking news here. Uh, Jay, did you have anything more that you wanted to say? If not, I'll move on with another new topic.
1: No, we'll go to another topic.
0: Okay. One that I'm kind of surprised you guys haven't brought up yet. I know we talked a little bit about it on Monday night show, but NASCAR has now announced there will be no practice or qualifying for the rest of this year. That means throughout the playoffs as well as Uh, no practice or qualifying before the daytona road course race uh, which we kind of focused on a lot on monday night show. so i'm curious to know your guys thoughts about having the no practice or qualifying throughout the playoffs as well including the championship race at uh, homestead miami or not at homestead it's going to be a phoenix this year i'm so used to saying that so mike we'll start with you on this one
5: I kind of stick with my position that I had on Monday with regard to practice at Daytona. I really think that they should – if not a formal practice associated with the race weekend, I think they should at least allow the teams to – send, it, you know, a multi-car team send one representative out to the racetrack, something in order to gather a little bit of data that can be used for them to develop a setup and some techniques to, to improve not just the quality of racing but the safety of racing on that racetrack. Every other racetrack they've been to before. If not this season, at least they got a notebook from last season with regard to what it takes in order to safely and effectively compete at that track. Um, one thing that surprised me, though, with the association, that sounds like Morgan Shepherd Racing in the Xfinity series, that may take them out for the entire season. Now, I'm not sure why that team needs practice in qualifying. It may just be a uh, a charter they have to qualify their way in issue. Um, but it's disappointing that know, there's a couple the team. teams who are now stuck on the outside looking in.
0: I missed which team that was, Jay or Mike.
5: Uh, Morgan Shepherd.
0: Oh, okay, got it.
5: So yeah, okay. it looks like uh, he, uh, Morgan Shepherd posted on Twitter that uh, basically retweeting the uh, the announcement that the practice and qualifying was off, and it, it, the tweet seemed to imply that that was going to be it for them for the 2020 season. So I'm guessing it must be a you know they they don't have the points in charter in order to guarantee themselves a uh, a spot in the race, so that's just going to preclude them from from going to the racetrack that rest of the year.
0: Okay, Jay.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think I think Mike did come to the c- conclusion there. I believe that they are outside of that with the charter teams In the Xfinity series. We've seen a pretty full field throughout most of the year. Uh, it's an unfortunate situation for that team, but there's been a couple that have uh, on the cup side as well uh, that have unfortunately had to experience that um, situation, that if there isn't the chance to qualify your way in, they don't have that chance, being that it's set on – points and then the charters for the four open teams. So uh, that mm-hmm. is unfortunate for that team. But I do think overall NASCAR is doing the right thing with this. That's how it's been all season uh, since the the pandemic. So I think to, to maintain that consistency and fairness for the entire season is what they're looking at as well as with the pandemic and all the procedures they put in place. Uh, You know, um, rather than opening the door and bringing all the teams and, you know, possibly fans, we'll have to see how that plays out, but creating it to allow it to creep back in. So I think they're doing it from a a smart position that way. I do agree with Mike that maybe an exception because it is a new track for everybody of Daytona. And I know I said I was kind of excited about it. I like the idea. I don't think teams need necessarily practice. However, being a new track there, I, I could see the exception being made for that one race because that is a completely new configuration, new track. But um, I'm also intrigued by the possibility of seeing what these guys do um, and how far they push it, how hard they push it without the, with that unknown. So um, I still kind of like the idea
0: okay well i i do agree i think this falls into the same category as we talked about earlier with covid19 having some effects uh on racing and uh it is the right decision for nascar to make for the rest of the season not to have practice or qualifying but i also agree with you guys the one exception would be the road course uh i advocated on on uh, Monday that they should uh, maybe have a test session uh, for the drivers uh, with regard to that road course since none of these drivers have ever raced uh, this particular configuration of the road course. And so I really think that needs to happen. Uh, Whether or not NASCAR will make that happen, it's yet to be seen. Cost is a huge factor in all of this. So, if it doesn't happen, I've got to believe that they're doing it for cost reasons. Um, NASCAR had to come back to racing in order to be viable for the future. And so uh, I trust their judgment uh, when it comes down to these cost considerations. Uh, And I think that the drivers will make the best of the situation uh, if it comes down to that. Uh, But I do think, if at all possible, uh, in whatever format they can make that happen, if they can allow for some type of a testing session for these drivers uh, before the road course at Daytona, I think that would be a good thing. Uh, but I know the drivers and everyone uh, will make the best of the situation for what it is if it comes down to not having anything before they go out on that road course. It's going to make the racing interesting without a doubt, uh, But I I have to trust that NASCAR is doing the very best thing to keep this a viable sport uh, going into the future and keeping cost uh, at at the forefront when making a lot of the decisions that they are making right now. So, Mike, what's your follow-up?
5: Well, having a practice for a new – racetrack this season is not unprecedented. We saw the Xfinity series got a practice on the uh, the road course configuration in Indianapolis. Uh, So it's not like it's an unprecedented thing to allow a practice opportunity, even a brief one, uh, in the event of a new track. Um, I agree that, you know, a a little bit of chaos may make for some interesting racing. And there is kind of a threshold where chaos is good versus chaos is bad. You know, we saw this past weekend, a little bit of chaos made a pretty interesting stage three for the Texas race. But kind of the other extreme of that chaos threshold was at the 2009 Brickyard 400. (laughs) That was one of those cases where chaos destroyed a race. Um, Uh So... If the teams aren't prepared enough in order to at least competently execute this race, and I give them, you know, there's a reason they're in the business that they're in. So as, as much faith and credit as can be given to them, but if you don't provide them the, the information that's necessary, it's unreasonable to expect them to be able to execute um, in a way that maybe uh, they could otherwise had they had the data.
0: Absolutely correct, Jay.
1: Yeah, like I said, I I can see if they made an exception or, like I said, it's not practice. You're not calling it practice. With qualifying for the race, it's a test session for understanding the track that they could still possibly say, we're holding to no practice. This is a test session. Um, Would be interesting to see if they go that direction.
0: I hope they do. I really, really hope they do because uh, as much as – As much as a lot of our fans enjoy that chaos factor, (laughs) um, this is not really a good situation where that chaos factor uh, would necessarily be a good thing. Um, I I really think these drivers need to have some time on that track, Um, and I I hope NASCAR is able to do that. That's all I'm saying. What we want and and what we all can see uh, as writing on the wall uh, may not be effective uh, from a cost perspective and, and that's the only point that I'm bringing up is that cost may prohibit it uh, and like you say it's not unforeseen it's, it's not unprecedented they did it for the Xfinity Series drivers at uh, Indianapolis and in the road course there uh, so I've got to believe that NASCAR is doing everything they can to make sure that that happens for the drivers at Daytona as well so that's about all I have to say
1: the The only th- the only thing I would say to counter that though is again the Cup Series is the premier level the Xfinity Series yeah. you do have a little bit younger younger drivers less experience so that might be why they did that for the Xfinity Series.
0: True, that's a good point. But again, uh, there's not many people that have uh, driven on this configuration of that road course, so uh, it will be interesting.
5: Um, but okay, let's. Correct me if I'm wrong. Goodyear Goodyear hasn't even run a tire test on that configuration, have they? I can't
0: say. I haven't yeah, seen any I know about they'll, it. they'll
5: occasionally they'll occasionally run tests at tracks that uh, that the series doesn't actually race on. But I can't think of a time that Goodyear has run a test on the Daytona Road Course to even develop a tire for this race.
0: Jay, have you heard anything?
1: No, I don't believe that that they have, uh, and Mike's right, uh, they generally do want to have some kind of idea, whether it be uh, former races there, if they've had them, but the fact that, yeah, it would be an unknown to Goodyear as far as a road course and on the super speedway as it is. um, I guess they might go back and kind of compare to uh, the Roval at Charlotte. I don't know.
0: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Who knows? Okay, um, let's go ahead and move on to our next topic, and, Mike, I guess that's you.
5: Uh, That's about all I had. Uh, I had the two topics I brought up, but with, you know, three days between the show, um, what has happened, everyone else has brought up, or at least I haven't seen anything else to bring up, so I'll defer to Jay.
0: Okay, Jay.
5: And we had heard rumor
1: of it anyway, um, tied in with the today or yesterday or today's announcement of the no practice is they are going to change the way they do the draw for starting position. And it seems yeah. most logical, instead of top 12, it's going to be top 16 when the playoffs start, so that all the playoff drivers are in the same draw, which I think, uh, well, we'll start there. And I don't know that that's 100%, but that seems to be the direction. And then whether or not they would go down to 8 and um, yeah. or 12 and 8, with the following cutoff races or not. Again, it just said it would be to, to be announced later, but I think to start, they're looking at the 16 instead of 12 to start the playoffs.
0: Okay. Mike, your thoughts.
5: I mean, For the playoffs, that absolutely makes the most sense. I mean, you're, you're starting to get pretty big on the, the initial draw pool there. You're getting close to half the field at that point, but then again, half the field of your playoff drivers. And you don't want to put those playoff drivers at an inherent disadvantage if they're below that four-point cutoff, or that that four-team cutoff would be outside of the top 12. Um, Logic would say if you are already outside of that cutoff, there's a good chance you're in danger of being eliminated from the playoffs anyway. So now you would be putting another disadvantage on those teams. Uh, and potentially eliminating them from the playoffs because of it. So I think yeah, that makes the most sense on there. One um, we talked about with the with regard to the choose comb, drivers will find a way to complain about anything, and now we're starting to see the complaints about uh, about random draw position. Uh, Clint Boyer posted I think yesterday he was he was filing his formal complaint, which of course Twitter is the formal complaint submission process. <laughs> um, with regard to uh, to his luck in these uh, in these draws, and somebody's actually done the math, and they found that uh, I think Clint Boyer is third from the bottom in terms of luck. Uh, Matt De Benedetto is second from the bottom in terms of luck, and I think Christopher Bell is overall the worst, um, just in terms of the luck of the draw and how the you know whether they're drawn straws or dice or whatever. Uh, how that uh, has played out in their favor. But then you got drivers like Eric Almirola who have been on the receiving end of really good luck. I really would be shocked if the 10 car was able to crank off two poles in five races like he did with, via a random draw just based on the, the historical performance of the 10 car in qualifying. So I really doubt that Eric Almirola has got too many complaints at all about this random draw system.
0: Yeah. But I, I do have to say I agree that going into the playoffs, it makes sense that they would make it uh, the top 16 in the same random draw. Those are the drivers that are competing and uh, should be in that random draw selection group. Uh, and I would think that moving forward when it when it gets paired down to 12, 8, and then eventually 4, uh, that they will do the same thing and make that a random draw for each of those respective groups. I can't really think of any negatives for not doing it. Uh, It it just seems to make sense that they would do it. Uh, So let's go around the second time on that. Mike? Mike? You brought this one up. Yeah,
5: the only real negative that would come would be in the first round. If you're on the outside looking in, you are way on the outside looking in at that point. Right. Um and I'm not sure if it's gonna if they're gonna keep the you know, if it's gonna be sixteen to twenty four. I haven't seen any deeper into there. But if they're doing sixteen to thirty nine, you could be starting in a pretty deep hole just by virtue of missing the playoffs by a couple of points. Um, it is what it is. Maybe you should do better throughout the remainder of the season if you wanted to be in a, in a better position there. But at the same time, that is a pretty deep hole that you're asking guys to start in. And the you know the ability to have that late season run and improve your your position outside of the playoffs gets limited a little bit when you do something like that.
0: Okay, Jay. Any follow up?
1: No, I, I, I'm with both of you. I think that they they almost have to for the for the playoff group start with 16. And to the best of my knowledge, the other groups then. Uh, group number two would be 17 through 24 uh, unless they break right. up the other three segments. Um, again, we'll have to wait and see as they do details of the further rounds and then how they adjust the rest of the field. But I don't think it'll change the the second or third group other than the second group may have eight drivers, which would be a little bit less, but again, they, they can't do any better than 17th either. So uh, overall, I, I do think it was the right move and we'll have to see how they do further into the playoffs. Um, even you know mike mentioned starting with the playoffs the 16th uh 16 now instead of 12 your points leader which will say kevin harvick at this point anyway probably throughout a lot of it you know may may get pushed back a little bit but he's the closer and you know he can handle it and it might give an advantage to whether it's 15 16 spots you know like i said or mike said if they were on the outside already in that 13th through 16th, they obviously were struggling a little bit compared to the rest to put them back as far as 24th. I mean, you're just asking them to get out of a hole. They, they obviously weren't able to get out of it to begin with.
0: Yeah. Again, I think it will make for some interesting racing, um, in those categories, but I, I really think it is the right thing to do given the situation as it is. Uh, and that's really all I have left to say about it. Um, Mike, did you have anything more?
5: No, I think we've pretty well covered it. Um, how they do the no practice, no qualifying piece to the playoffs is definitely going to be unprecedented. Um, it's interesting. It's, it's going to be interesting to see how that shapes the competition because uh, we've seen some drivers just roll off the truck and been stupid fast, and we've seen some drivers roll off the truck and just completely miss it. And, you know, normally those kind of things that get caught in the practice or qualifying – And during the regular season, it matters, but it doesn't really make a big deal. But for the playoffs, that could be huge. I mean, we think about the disastrous uh, round of eight that Chase Elliott had last year. All it takes is one or two times rolling off the truck without the right setup on the car. And your entire season is effectively over as soon as you open the door on the hauler.
0: Well, I think we've seen that already happen. Uh, Kyle Busch, obviously, is one of those drivers who gains a lot through practicing qualifying on the track before the race begins. And he's been hurt deeply this year um, with, uh, with uh, not having that practice session, and he's not been shy by saying that. Uh, and it could continue to affect him in the uh, playoffs. But, again, um, I know this is a kind of a different year, but I do think that uh, a lot of these drivers uh, are playing under the same rules. I mean, all of the drivers are playing under the same rules. So they they either had to figure it out, uh, as obviously some of the drivers have figured out or crew chiefs have figured out, or they're going to have to continue to try to uh, – Crack that nut and get it figured out Especially going into the playoffs And maybe Kyle Bush has uh, Come closer to cracking that nut And he'll be better in the playoffs uh, But they're all playing under the same rules So I think that's what it all comes down to uh, In the end here Jay Jay are you on mute Did we lose Jay
1: Um, but I think it will make it interesting. Uh, Again, unfortunately, this season has been a lot of things on the fly, and overall I think NASCAR has done a good job of making the best decisions, so we'll have to hope that continues.
0: Okay, we're going to let that be the last word, and uh, we'll do our roundtable here uh, to start to close out the show. Uh, Mike, we'll start with you. Yeah,
5: Mike Orzell on Facebook, Mike underscore Orzell on Twitter. Look for me in the race chat this evening on the Fan for Racing. Uh, follow uh, the link on the uh, top right corner of the Fan for Racing website, and uh, we'll have a live race chat there, and you can find me in there this evening.
0: Okay, Jay. All uh, right.
1: Hoosman on Facebook, MoparMJ8 on Twitter and Instagram i uh, got some other things going on tonight. I don't know if I'll catch the end of the truck race there or not. to jump in there in the chat room as well uh, once I get done. And tomorrow and Saturday, probably both the same, uh, and I will be at Jackson Motor Speedway, your capital city raceway here in Mississippi, on Saturday night for the Mississippi State Championship Challenge Series Super Late Models. And being that I've been this busy, I know I talked about an article coming up, and I already talked with Sharon about it try to get that out by midweek of a lot of the things we've talked about the impact the uh, uh, pandemic the coronavirus has had on the nascar season and what it means for the future with some of the things they've done
0: okay definitely looking forward to that one jay um okay sharon uh i am fan for racing site on twitter we are fan for racing blog and radio everywhere else including our website fanforracing.com and uh, I too will be in the chat room tonight on uh, fanforracing.com if you go to the website on the uh, front page at the very top right side uh, you will see Fan for Racing chat just look for the race day chat Uh, scroll down to the race day chat and that's the chat room we'll be in tonight uh, for tonight's cup series race and uh, I'm going to try to be in as many of those uh, chats uh, this weekend as possible. Uh, For whatever reason, my house seems to be the uh, community central, uh, and a lot of people tend to just drop in on me. So uh, if that happens, I try to let everybody know that that's happening, and that's why I disappear in the chat room throughout the race. Uh, But... um, uh, I will try to be in there as much as possible uh, for the racing this weekend at Kansas. Uh, looking forward to those races. A big shout out to our listeners. We appreciate all of you for tuning in to hear what we have to say uh, on uh, our review and preview shows throughout the week. And, uh, uh, again, this is a podcast this time. Uh, we will be back on air uh, next week, I don't know if you guys have looked far, uh, very far ahead, but next week on my calendar, it looks like there's only one race. Is that right?
5: Yeah, that's the biggest gap that they're race. going to have the entire season. Pardon me. This is the biggest gap that they're going to have the entire season.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. One Cup Series race. Uh, is taking place next week on August the second. Uh and that's gonna be uh the race that we will preview uh on uh Thursday night uh beforehand. So uh just a heads up uh, for everybody, uh it's gonna be a slow race weekend Uh, After this week uh, On that first week of August So interesting stuff there But uh, thanks to everybody Again for tuning in Thanks to Mike and Jay for being here today Uh, I appreciate you guys And uh, we're definitely looking forward To uh, the races Coming up this weekend So uh, thanks everybody And uh, we'll see you on the other side
5: See ya
1: Have a good day and enjoy the races
0: Good night.